1: When I was in Los when I was
2: dedicated to the cause the of Lucifer, I read that, 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 that generation was at that point a sacrificial I was laying there, practically, and I had her hold me as if I was living. I couldn't talk, I couldn't open my eyes. I, I believe my eyes were rolled right back in my head. There. there was evidence of human sacrifice on this fight. One of my first questions I asked was. You They They would to me. they know what they did to us? That's when I fled that home. But no, me. They, they, they would They would take pictures in my head. If they wanted to
0: communicate with me.
2: We've got them on X ray, we've got him on Cascade, we've got him on a Gallup Media, which measures magnetic field 7.5. Ultrasound machine, right there, right there. It's hard, harder
3: than the book We've got some guests in the studio tonight. We've got Heather here. Hello. And she's going to come on later and talk about Terra. We've actually pre recorded that.
1: So
4: travel through time and space
3: this is the this is the magic and yeah we travel
1: we time travel a lot on this podcast (laughs) she's uh she's going to and read my tarot
3: yes she's going to yeah (laughs) hasn't already has but but uh we have a couple of guests over here that are off to the side i guess i don't think you guys have mics but uh introduce yourselves everybody And you guys work with Rob, we work with Rob. Yep. and uh, understand. You guys have listened to the show before. Yes, we have. I'm sorry.
5: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's,
2: I was, it was totally
3: kept it very entertaining. Driving from Delaware. Well, you know, these guys came here to see you, Luke. I mean, these. Like the, I mean, you, you're the one that makes the show. I mean, that's why we. That's why we keep you around and and everything, right? So, since
6: so many people at, at the booth up in uh, Minneapolis came to me, right? <laughs> I had what? Oh, uh, let's see, zero
4: <laughs> people. hard to believe. It's, it's true. Oh, no, you had
3: some people. You, I had I had a couple people ask about you. Really? I like think Rocky asked about you and well, oh, few yeah, others, to, you know?
6: okay, a few others. <laughs> the guy with the show. The guy with oh, the show. You was Luke whatever, there. Whatever, whatever. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I
3: like Rocky. Bad, I guess I hang out with him. Yeah. Well, that was a great trip. And, Speaking of Minneapolis, that's back in the news. Nice segue there with last week with the shooting of Philando Castile, who was shot by a police officer. That was the second shooting that week. It was followed, it had been followed, uh, it followed the police officers that killed the guy in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. That was the day before, I believe, literally. Uh, that was on the 6th of, June, of July, and then on July 7th, the Finlando Castile show, well, actually, I think that was that night, and everybody was hearing about it on the 7th. The night of the 7th, then we had the policemen attacked in Dallas. This has been a crazy that was a crazy set of three days. And before I kind of go into what I want to go into with it, I want to know what some of you guys think about what has happened last, the last few days. Well, certainly, certainly we've had police brutality. Certainly that's been around for a long time. That's nothing new. Um. Well, what is new is you're right. I mean, it's the uh, the use of cell phones, the use of social media. That's definitely new. Uh, in what happened with Philando Castile, that was live streamed over the internet by his girlfriend who was in the car. And I think there has been some debate recently that... Some people feel like that was possibly fake. I'm not of that opinion, but I would like you guys were talking about, we were talking about this right before the show. And I kind of like your opinion on this. What you guys think about whether that was a fake video, that that was a setup.
7: Well, uh, I guess really to me, I, what really struck me is that, uh, Say I was watching in the kitchen, and then I hear Katie say, like, why do you keep watching that over and over? Yeah. It's like, uh, no, I'm not watching it over and over. I'm watching the full video. And And I was already kind of thinking to myself, like, okay, why is someone this calm with a cop pointing a gun at me? Like, I've been in that situation, so I understand the immediate fear and following orders but just the nonchalantness of it like I would I would almost say like if my girlfriend was just shot numerous times next to me you know I guess it's different with every person's you know how they act in shock but it was just a repetitive thing that like I just kept on hearing the exact same thing yeah. Not like variations of the exact, you know, of what she's saying, but it was like, I'm going to repeat this again now that I've calmed down after getting thrown down to the ground or you know whatever, and now I'm going to repeat what I just had said, and it was just strange to me. And the constant
3: reiteration,
7: me. yeah, and she was just hearing it in the background, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's what cued me into that, and I don't know, you know, everything is you know fifty fifty that you see on the internet so that's kind of my opinion you know i mean it could be totally real or it could be totally fake
3: we've definitely explored some of that on this show talking about like what is real and what is not and how it's we kind of live in a world of a lot of confusion um and there's several i mean we could go down the rabbit hole that that's really not where i want to go with this um I watched the entire video. Well, most of the video today. And I mean, that very first part is extremely gut wrenching and, and, and she is extremely calm yet. At the same time, you never know how people are going to react to a certain situation. And people can be in shock Um, that she had the presence of mind to actually get on Facebook and do it. I mean, it's a little odd, but who knows how much chaos is reigning at that very point and that the cops didn't take that uh didn't take that away from her. Uh the phone. I thought that was a little odd as well. But again, that could just be chaos of the situation. Um now it, it's very strange is also in the, well, not strange, but in the later part of the video, you do hear in the middle, you do hear her break down and you do hear her start crying. You do hear her start to pray. Uh, towards the end, she's a little calmer and it seemed like it was, well, she was in the car towards the end of the video. Uh, now there's been also a lot of questions. I think you brought this up earlier was that, you know there was a child in the car and the oh, child's not screaming.
7: Yeah. That was actually a friend of mine noticed yeah. that, which I didn't even notice. But then just the reality of, you know, five gunshots, four gunshots going off, like in a car, that's loud. That's yeah. going to scare the crap out of a baby. Yeah. You know? And then even when you hear the, you know, lady asking where her child is, like, you don't really hear any, any response in, in some crazy drama like that, You know, that's very dynamic, you know, in the chaos of it all, where, you know, that cop wouldn't stop her from recording. You know what I mean? There's that much chaos going on, you know, nobody's very like loud or
3: I just have to wonder if it is fake, what the motive would be.
7: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
3: Uh, and, for doing it yeah.
7: Well there's There's 120 shootings In Chicago Last week
3: Chicago is one of the most Dangerous cities in the nation
7: But that's so. just one city Right And All of those 120 shootings Are horrific Like all of them but relevant. Yeah But all of a sudden It's You know And then You know With the social media Like you were noting Like They just I mean, those are all algorithms, like it's documented that they do tests with you know how they can affect people's mood, and there you go, you know get right
3: well, also too I mean it came it came i mean it was like a one two punch. You had this Alton Sterling guy that was shot at point blank range in the chest um as i mean I don't know if you guys have seen that video, but that uh I mean they just shot that guy. I mean, yeah, yeah. Yes, he had a gun. Yes, he had a gun in his pocket, but you also see visibly after they've shot him and he's sitting there struggling for breath as he's bleeding out and shaking them, pulling, uh, pulling the gun out of the cargo pants. So he was possibly never even reaching for the gun and they just shot him. I mean, there's really no doubt from many different angles. I mean, with like, you know, what happened in Ferguson in 2014 with Michael Brown. I mean, there was there was some doubt there because there wasn't a film of it. So it was kind of the word of the witnesses and the word of the cop of what of what happened. But with that's mm-hmm. Alton Sterling case in Baton Rouge, no doubt these guys were in the wrong. Now with the Philando Castile video, you see it it the shooting, it's right after the shooting has taken place. And there's some debate. Because they know that he actually did have a gun, but he had a concealed carry permit, and apparently he was going to go for his concealed carry permit and show it to the policeman after the policeman asked him to, and then he goes for the he goes for the concealed carry permit, and that's when the cop shoots him four times that to me, I don't want to be critical of cops, but that to me sounds like a policeman. That was not very well trained to deal with that situation.
1: Here's the thing: you can be critical of an officer without being critical of cops.
3: Yes, exactly.
7: Yeah, there's no reason to just go shoot them.
4: You can be pro cop and pro Black Lives Matter at the same time. You can, in fact, black and
3: white. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's always the dichotomy, isn't it?
4: If I may, uh, yeah, please. As far as like how calm she was, <clears throat> speaking from personal experience, um, watching my husband bleeding out after he's been shot yeah, uh, in a mugging, um, he's okay, by the way, um, but that was a horrific moment, and I was extremely calm. Um, I had a moment where I didn't know what to do. I had frozen, but just a second later his crying out to me brought me back to the moment and I was able to kind of calmly and quickly work in a way that made sense. Um, but I was very collected about it. I was very calm, uh, and almost detached. Um, in fact, when I called my mother <laughs> after he was being loaded into the ambulance, I called her to tell her what had just happened. It's the middle of the night, you know, and. Uh, and they, they didn't understand what was happening at first because I was so calm about it. And they had me repeat it like three or four times. Like, wait, what are you saying has happened? And I'm like, my husband's been shot, you know? And I was just so cool about it that they didn't quite catch it at first. And I got off the phone with them and I called a friend to come pick me up and take me to the hospital. Cause I was a no, well, my mom said, you're in no shape to drive. You shouldn't drive. And I'm like, I'm, I'm okay. And she said, no, 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 you're not going to be okay in a little bit. So get a friend to drive you. So I, I called a friend and and he also was like, I don't understand what's happening. You you're so collected about it, everything. Why why how can you be so calm? So all that is to say that I, I can completely understand in that moment her being so level sounding and just kind of almost detached. Because it's like when something of that magnitude happens, you're you're not even you haven't even processed it yet. You you're in this state of disbelief, like. This literally could not have happened, you know, and then and then finally it catches up with you later. But um, but it's like in that moment, uh, it's hard to process. Do you have any ideas though why the kid was so calm? Um, I have a family member um, whose child was witness to a shooting in their family. And when they're very young like that, um, it's kind of hard for them to really understand the magnitude of what they've just seen. Uh, as as well as they don't have a lot of contact with violence and its repercussions. So it's, in that case, the child at the time, she was worried, my family member, she was worried because the people around her were freaking out. But once they calmed down, she calmed down. Like, she didn't really have any, she, she was like a kid. Like, she had no concept of what, like, what just happened in front of her. Her dad had just yeah. been shot, you know. It-
1: it, it yeah, it does seem like the noise alone from a gun would elicit at least some kind of response. Yeah. Because we don't ever see the child in the video or anything, right? Well, you
3: do see her, but later yeah. on you don't see her sitting in the back of the car. You see her um approach her mother, um, and you kind of see like her face, and then you see her and the uh the mother sitting in the back of the car together. Um I wanna address something on this this whole thing. Um, the debate on whether this is fake or not, I guess will just go on as it usually does. Um, but I noticed something and you notice this trend with all these shootings where it's a, by the way, this, this officer was not white. He was apparently, well, I heard first, I heard Chinese. Now I'm hearing he's Latino, uh, which his name sounds Latino. So, um, So there will be that perception out there that I'm sure that it was a white policeman and a black man. And, but it was not same as with like George Zimmerman where, you know, he wasn't white, but somehow he became white. But you know, what I've noticed is that there is a tendency in the media. And this is unfortunately on the side of the, more conservative media to blame the victim to say, well, first of all, Alton Sterling, they're saying the guy was a child molester. Now this may be true because I'm sure people have looked into his past. He did not have a very good past. He had a lot of uh, misdemeanors and felonies on his record. One of which was sex with a minor. He was convicted of that. I think he spent a little bit of jail time for that. Uh, Philando Castile, however, uh, was a school cafeteria worker. He was not only a school cafeteria worker, he was a manager of the cafeteria. This is a guy who pretty much had his whole life ahead of him.
4: He did mentoring work too.
3: Right. He was good with kids. You know, in fact, there was a picture of a kid holding a sign in Minneapolis, or actually St. Paul, that said, that Phil, meaning Philando, would help out the help out uh, disabled students in in the school, and I mean, so how how tragic can it be? But yet there's these news sites that come up that say that oh he was a suspect in a robbery, and yeah yeah thank you Heather in quotes that he was a suspect in a robbery and that the reason and it actually has come out that the reason that he was pulled over was not because of a broken tail light but because he looked like the suspect in the robbery now this has come out like the whole thing with Michael Brown that he was a thug and he probably was but people like to use this to i guess to make them feel make themselves feel better about the situation to make themselves feel like, well, he was a bad guy anyway, so he had it coming. And even if Philando Castile was the suspect that held up the store and stole cigarettes and some money. It didn't kill anybody, by the way. Even if that was him, does that mean that he deserved to die? I don't think so.
4: Due process. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So it, it's like these things come out on these, on these news sites that it, people just want to just say that, yeah, you know, these were bad people, so they deserved what they had coming to them. And I guess for a certain percentage of the population of this country, that makes them feel better. I don't know. But I, I really find it rather disgusting and really bothersome even if he was the suspect, even if Alton Sterling was a child molester, he didn't deserve to be killed in that way. Now, if someone commits a murder and they are tried by a jury of their peers and we have the death penalty and they're sentenced to death. Okay. That's a different thing. Like Heather said, we have due process of law, but we just can't sit there and say, Oh, I feel better now because that guy law robbed the convenience store and, was him even though it wasn't him snopes put out an article talking about uh this that came out of website conservative treehouse Mm -hmm. and saying that this was a mostly false story that he was not the suspect in the robbery um but he was pulled over because he resembled the guy because quote unquote as they said from the uh the radio uh the, the dispatch radio from the police the police that pulled him over and one later shot him that they pulled him over cuz he had a wide nose
4: and dreads and, and dreadlocks hair. and facial hair cuz you know there aren't many people that fit that description yeah dear god and it had happened a whole 4 days earlier by the way it's yeah. not like it had just happened and so they were on the lookout for him
3: and apparently uh one of the proofs that was used was his girlfriend, the one that did the video. We just saw this just now. Apparently Newport cigarettes were stolen.
4: Parliament's.
3: Yeah, it was Newport.
4: Oh so, uh, Newport cigarettes. Oh, okay. Newport cigarettes
3: was were stolen from this uh from this gas station. Uh, and then she's holding Newport cigarettes in a picture.
4: Oh, that's evidence right there. As
3: if you just, you know, m- there's more than one pe- person smokes Newport cigarettes, at least in the whole Why city of Minneapolis, St. Paul. <clears throat> but like I said, I guess for some people that just makes them feel better. I don't know. Thoughts?
6: Parliaments are kind of gross. <laughs> <laughs>
7: Well, it's, it's dual edge there. I mean, that's, I don't know. I look at, I don't know. Most of the, the media, the way they spin things is mm-hmm. to their audience, but they want to, you know, dual edge the info as much as possible. So, you know, you can, you can appeal to your crazy conservatives, which don't even get conservatism. And then you can appeal to your crazy liberals you know that are like, look at that race baiting right Appeal there. Appeal to like, the yeah, opposite they're experience. They're so racist, yeah, and it's oh. and so then it makes it that more fanning of a sensational story to, you know, and then everybody can put their spin on it, and it's like one thing, you know. Meanwhile, yeah. you know, you know what happened just before all this stuff, you know. That's
3: right. Well, and you notice how quickly. I will say this. I will say this. I don't know. I don't think. I don't think that it's faked. But I will say this: you notice just how this was. Th- this was in the news just right after the whole Hillary Clinton thing got got done with, yeah. right? Just after that embarrassing press conference where the the director of the FBI came in, right? Came in and said, "Oh, we're not going to press any charges." After Bill had met with the Attorney General on on the on the airplane, I mean. When I heard that, I thought, okay, they just got Trump elected right there, Ugh. because they—if they hit on that, you're—you're you're gonna see President Trump. That's gonna happen, because, yeah.
4: You don't think Bernie's gonna save us? I don't think, I don't <laughs> think Bernie's
3: gonna save us. I don't you, think his little birds are gonna come save us.
6: You don't think he's a ninja samurai warrior and? <laughs> It's like Master Roshi he's just going to like pu- he's going to puff out his muscles and just like take down all the bad guys at once. And
3: as far as Dallas, I think I'd like to cover that on mm-hmm. another show possibly. But uh once again with the Dallas thing, here's another guy that is uh just an ideologue this time though on the far black the far side of black nationalism. And he decided that he was going to. He had this opportunity to take to take out policemen, and he did it. I also find it really just absolutely bizarre that the police sent in a a bomb robot with C four strapped to it and blew the guy up. Yeah. But you know what? There's a mentality out there of just like once you kill a cop, the rest of the cops come after you.
4: To a certain, to a certain extent, though, you got to look at it. It's like okay, you know these people are violent you know, they're willing to shoot and yeah. have been shooting. Like how do you, you, they've been trying to, to contact this person and kind of elicit them out for hours at that point. Like at a certain point though, can you blame them for sending in the, the death bot? Like it seems like a good deal to me. Cause no more innocent people get hurt <laughs> at that point.
1: Yeah. I, I don't disagree with you, but at the same time, if you look at it as a precedent, It just it opens the door to a bunch of really scary possibilities. Well, it's an execution.
4: Yeah, drone strike executions. Again, we're we're skipping the doop. We already opened that door. Yeah,
3: we already opened that door with Anwar Al Awaki and his son. We opened the door on that back then. You know, when Obama. I mean, you know, okay, Anwar Al Awaki. You know, he's the one. You know, really fomenting – uh, terrorism or, or terrorist ideas uh really Islamic fundamentalist ideas. And okay. You can maybe say, all right, we should have gotten that guy American citizen though. But well, we just executed him without due process. And, but then his son goes over to Yemen to find out what happened to his father. And we execute, we kill him, his 16 year old son. <sighs> okay. And Obama's, I mean, that's blood on Obama's hands there, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, one interesting thing I did find with this uh, Philando Castile business, I do have one clip I want to play. It's very short. This is from the CNN interview the next day, the very next morning after Philando Castile was killed, and this is one of the uh, an interview that was 22 minutes long on CNN. And this occurs; they're talking to his mother, Philando Castile's mother, and her brother, his uncle. That's Clarence Castile. This happens right at the end of the interview.
1: Is this called Widow Son?
3: It's called Widow's Son.
1: Oh, good. That's the only one I got.
6: Is this really your fire mixtape? Thank you.
5: Thank you. I like to say one thing. Yes.
6: <laughs> oh Lord, my God, is there no help for the widow's son? We got to hang on by the strong grip of the lion's paw.
3: Oh Lord, my God, is there no help for the widow's son? We have to hang on by the grip of the lion's paw. You know what that is.
1: I do, but only because you told me. That is a Masonic.
4: I knew it.
3: (laughs) That is a Masonic call out for aid and assistance. Is there no help for the widow's son?
0: I knew the widow. The widow's
3: son refers to Hiram Abiff, who is the master mason. The what they he's the one that built supposedly built Solomon's Temple, and he's the one that masonry is based off of the, I, I, I knew that right away. And I thought that is an absolute bizarre statement. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that the person on CNN thought anything of it. They thought it was probably just a religious thing or a church thing. Mm-hmm. uh, Kind of like an old timey preacher, but he says this. And then I had to go and I thought, the lion's paw sounds familiar too.
6: Uh huh. You googled it. You're not had, that smart. I had, the, I had, the, <laughs> I googled
3: lion's paw, and what that means in relationship to the widow's son, lion's paw is a masonic handshake.
4: So what, say the quote again, then. And now that we know, oh the context.
3: Lord, my God, is there no help for the widow's son? We need to stand by the firm grip of the lion's paw.
4: Is there no help for the Freemason? We need to. Keep oh. interlocked our hands, I guess.
3: Well, is the Lions paw is a masonic handshake, right?
4: Need to need to kind of close yeah. ranks, maybe. Is that what it's? Possibly. Do, think that's what it's
3: saying? Possibly.
7: do you think he could have been a target for anyone?
3: Who? Orlando Castillo. Yeah.
7: Ooh.
4: You,
3: you know, know what I mean?
7: Like how how deep in is well, this relative?
3: I spoke to someone, you know, and yeah.
7: what were, were they being attacked? You know, and that was.
4: Hmm. Or was it a offering? I I
3: had, I, I I spoke to someone today about this that I know that's been on this show before. Good friend of mine. And there was a speculation that that was a call out to possibly bring more people to go to war against the police. And then maybe that had something to do with what happened in Dallas. Uh, What's things that's not but I really explored on this show? We talk a lot about Freemasonry, but you know, African American Freemasonry—it's a big thing, and a lot of that happens at the college level. And you never know who they're calling out to. I mean, that was an obvious call out—a secret society call out.
4: You don't think? The so I found
3: that utterly fascinating.
4: You don't think the police would be? closely intertwined with secret organizations like the freemasons
3: i'd say they probably would be that sounds like i'm just MK saying that that's a speculation <laughs> i don't know that's i mean it's interesting yeah it, it's very i mean as far as i know the guy in dallas was just doing it on his own
4: Well, he shot into the crowd like yeah. almost almost completely willy-nilly like i mean he happened right. to shoot some police officers but didn't well, shoot some other people too
3: Yeah, he did. He wounded some people. He was specifically going after white police officers. But one thing about that guy, you know, our own government
6: trained him as a sniper.
4: There was a shooting in Tennessee, too. Bristol. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
6: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Same same deal, but he he shot, wounded four, I think, before he was taken out.
3: Yeah. I haven't really... Heard about this till today, so I don't. I'm, it's I'm, I'm little bitty the,
6: town. It's not yeah. even Bristol, but like close to Bristol,
3: right? So there's there's a war going on right now. I mean this it's uh this is, I mean po- the police are. Uh, there's a lot of people that do not want to be cops right now. They do not want to be cops.
7: Yeah, I think but, I remember seeing a few different stories about cops.
3: And Alyssa was telling me earlier that uh the Bahamas. Have put out a travel warning for no one to to, to travel to the United States. Or if yeah. you
7: do yeah, avoid large three, crowds. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh wow! Yeah, there's three countries now that have put that yeah. put us oh, wow. on that list. Whoa!
3: Yeah, welcome okay. to welcome to civil strife. <laughs> Great stuff.
6: All just well. Yep. Well, Paul seems to be perfectly cool.
3: Yeah. <laughs> there's there. Uh, anyway, I think on that note, uh, we need to get to. Our guest, but first we're going to talk to Heather about tarot and through the magic of time travel. Oh, so we're going to go back a few hours. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll be right back on Conspiratorial. Hi, right, guys. We're here on Conspira Normal, and this is part one of our mega double interview night.
4: <laughs> mega double.
3: And we have here in the studio my good friend Heather.
4: Hi. Who
3: has been on the show before. Um, she was with us for episode 50 way back two years ago. And then you set in on episode 100 on that whole shindig. And you're a good friend of the show, listener of the show. You've been around. You and I have worked together for like what was it, four years? I think. Yes. And we've uh, known each other for a long time, and you've been around since I started the show back in 2012. That's correct. And we also have her son Bean with us.
4: That's that is I not his real name. <laughs> his real name will remain. Yeah, like anonymous, Mr., Mr. But Mr. Bean, yes. right? Yes. He
3: he's here. With us to lend moral support. That's right. And Heather, we're going to talk about tarot.
4: Yes. Because
3: you are, well, someone I consider an expert
4: oh, I, on, well, on
3: tarot.
4: I, I don't know that I should be called an expert, but I, I've, I've been doing tarot for about 17 years or so. Yeah. And uh, sorry, the sounds of my son in the background, I hope that's not too distracting. <laughs> uh, I don't
3: <laughs> think so. Yeah. Um, Maybe he'll get. Maybe he'll get. Maybe he'll get sedate here in a little bit. <laughs>
4: we're hoping. <laughs> one can hope. He's six months old. For well, yeah, for congratulations!
3: Because the last time we had yeah. you here, um, it was you were actually pregnant with him. That's
4: right. Episode one hundred. I was. Uh, I had the bump. He was here, sort of. Yeah. In the studio.
3: Yeah, he's the, he's the conspirant, official normal baby, right? Yeah.
4: <laughs> dear lord help us all
3: yeah i don't well, know if my
4: husband would like that <laughs> what are you doing with our son
3: unfortunately we don't have luke with us right now
4: of course not uh <laughs> yeah luke are you gonna be at the show i'm gonna be there at the studio oh yeah oh yeah, dear, yeah can't don't be wait. There with, oh you know i'll come over there
3: and see you yeah it'll I'll, be great i'll hang out <laughs> well we would just ask him a question right and he just deferred to rob anyway so it's, <laughs> it's good it's good rob is here so <laughs> no, we love Luke. We love Luke. He'll be he'll be joining us a little later here. Although this part you're probably gonna hear. So you might be a little confused by the fact that Luke was here and then not, but whatever. <laughs> We're doing this earlier in the day. Heather. Yes. How'd you become involved with uh, tarot cards? How'd you become interested
2: in it?
4: Um so I grew up in a um fairly conservative Christian household. Uh, Not a crazy, scary, fundamentalist kind of setting, but uh fairly conservative. In fact, I had a friend who brought over a Ouija board once. I had never heard of it before. And my mm. my friend let me borrow it because I thought it was interesting. <clears throat> my dad saw it sitting in my room and he freaked out. And that was my first brush with that kind of spiritual side uh that a lot of conservatives are scared of. Yeah. That, that they admit exists but they don't want to um they don't want to mess with so um
3: what was your experience like with a ouija board i don't um, think you've ever told me this actually
4: boring it was an incredibly boring experience uh and i mentioned that to my friend she was like it's supposed to like get you in touch with the other side i'm like it ain't doing nothing like what is this i was like well maybe it's just not working right i'll try it again later just let me borrow it you know and i thought maybe my cousin and i could play around with it or something and My dad nixed that. He's like, "No, get that out of my house."
3: You know, I saw I saw an absolutely terrible movie the other day called Ouija. Like, we I was just, just wasting time, and... Have you seen it, Rob? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, was yeah. it not just... <laughs> it just it's just kind of like your typical, like, teen horror movie. Right. You know? The <laughs> there people? there was some interesting stuff in it, but it just, like... Some of it just really... It just was kind of stupid. The people you know? that have
4: sex or the people that die? Oh, or, 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 uh,
3: no, it? no. That's okay. a different movie. Okay. That's a different... I haven't <laughs> seen that one. I know what you're talking about, but no, this one was these kids get this Ouija board to talk to their friend who the Ouija board commanded to hang herself, and then it just, you know, it was just, it was pretty much like a rip-off of Insidious, so much so that it even had the same lady from Insidious in it.
1: Yeah, to be honest, like, it was a good way to waste an hour and a half, but I don't remember any of the plot points <laughs> Yeah. Not a single one. <laughs> yeah, ending. it's it's pretty forgettable. It's pretty forgettable.
3: And there was a part, there was a scene in the movie where, like, one of the characters dies, and then everything is and then like apparently they have this victory over whatever because you know that i'm not giving anything away you know that, that's how the movie's gonna end right good always wins over evil all this stuff and uh but there's no consequence like the cops don't come around and say hey why did you uh why is this guy dead in the pool and you know it's like what's you know what's, going, what's going on you know good so but anyway that's that's a total digression there so
4: Oh yeah. How so, did this <laughs>
3: lead into? How did that lead into? Uh, for, for, you further went down the path of Satanism. I did. With,
4: I did. Yes. With uh, with tarot, siren call. you know, um, and
3: with the with the Ouija <laughs> must have had some kind of effect. Did your dad take it outside and burn it? And <laughs> no. Ritualistically no, he just, cleanse the ground. I can't
4: remember what he did. I think he maybe like take it outside, but he didn't want it in the house. And then the next day, I was supposed to return it, and he was like, yeah. "No." never let that in the house again, you know? And my dad's fairly, fairly progressive, not a super fundamentalist. He's not a very big scaredy cat kind of Christian of those right. things, but that really spooked him. He didn't let that house at all. So, uh, but yeah, so I got kind of, a uh, in a peaked interest from that. It, it was, uh, that intrigued me, that whole response from my dad and like, why would this be a big deal? And of course I started paying more attention and to, you know, what other people had to say about these things. And I learned about tarot probably from a friend or something, but I didn't know anybody who read tarot. And, uh, my best friend at the time, um, she and I were, you know, going to this Christian school and we were kind of oddballs anyway. Um, and we both were interested in tarot, but neither of us knew anybody who read. So we, we decided that we were going to, um, buy each other our first decks because we had both heard mm-hmm. the myth that you you can't buy your own deck for your first deck it's got to be a gift okay so um and we'll
3: get to some of those myths yes later. we'll we'll touch on some myths yeah.
4: but uh but yeah so we each bought each other uh, a deck you know i bought her i think it was like the renaissance tarot i forget and she bought me the aquarian tarot which is really 70s art nouveau really beautiful kind of hard to read though for your first deck but um but yeah, so we got those decks, and we sat down, and we tried to read for each other, and um, she has a passing interest, and it's still, uh, she, I think that's the only deck she still owns, but yeah. I kind of took off from from there, and uh, it really, really captured my my interest, and I've got a few decks now, maybe 10, I, I don't know, I haven't counted lately, but I don't have a lot of decks, I mean, some people go really overboard, They'll, they got like a whole bookcase full of decks, because they're really serious about it, but.
3: Well, let's talk about some of the history like okay. some of, like the origins of the tarot deck, and then I want to kind of get into some of your your personal experiences with it um you know what's the origins of it uh where does it come from what's the kind of like the the history behind it and and uh I'm curious to know just exactly how old and how far this goes back
4: um that's really um disputed uh people don't really know um there's, there's some different theories. So, uh, the name tarot, um, some people think it, it could, um, be a reference to the Torah. Um, maybe just a, a different spelling or a mispronouncing it, pronunciation. Okay. Uh, so it could have some Jewish roots and, and certainly LFS <clears throat> Levy or Levi. I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. I've only heard it read. Um, yeah. Um, so I don't really know <clears throat> how to pronounce that, but he, he was a scholar uh, he taught that uh, it had some Jewish connections. So some people certainly think that it, it could be um, Torah. And then there's the idea. Um, so before the Egyptian language was really uh, deciphered fully, um, there was a, a Swiss clergyman. Um, gosh, I cannot remember his name. And it was court to something. I can't see it. Well, in my see. I have
3: your I have your notes here.
4: Um court de something.
3: Yeah, some some weird French Antoine Court de Geblin.
4: De Gebelin, that's yeah. it, right? Yeah.
3: I'm sure we're probably really really mangling that.
4: <laughs> yeah. So I there's got my- somebody
3: in France going, it's de <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so he, he kind of did some some early Egyptian language deciphering and he didn't have a very good um grasp of the language and he deciphered tarot as tar fro, um or the royal path and so he thought that perhaps this was an egyptian system that was brought over um and then i had read somewhere i couldn't find the source for this um um there was a river in spain um that is is like taro or something torachi or something so they thought that maybe it could be a, a river in spain um so th- those are some different uh origin stories about the name taro um so, like I said, some people thought it it could have come from Egypt some people thought it could be come coming from Judaism like Kabbalistic teachings um, <clears throat> so from what we can tell though, actually it was created um, sometime around the first half of the 15th century um not Egypt, but rather for board nobility um. They just wanted a game to play. And this is, you know, where we get playing cards from. Um, and each suit stood for a different class of people in the caste system. And I, I couldn't I couldn't find a source for um, for what those different um, caste systems would be. I think one of them is, like, the layperson. One of them is the, the clergy. One is the nobility. And one is, um, like, the tradesman. I, I forget which one is which. But essentially that's... Um, that's the suits Uh, and then different, um, uh, court cards, you know, you, you have, um, a king, a queen, uh, a prince or a knight and a princess or a page. And these would stand for different specific nobility, um, in some systems like David, Charles, Alexander, Richard. Um, so different systems, um, happen in different countries too, because this game started exploding everywhere. You know, France had their own system. Germany had their own system, Spain, so forth and so on. And they all had different, um, suits to them. Like some had acorns and some had spades. And so it really just kind of went from there. So first it was a game and then somebody somewhere, we don't know when or where really decided to kind of try to use this as a, um, divination system. And so, um,
3: was there, any, um, was there any connection to, to the gypsies
4: in um, any of this stuff? I don't know where that connection comes in. Certainly a lot of um, lore that we have uh, about cartomancy uh, or divination using cards uh, is centered around gypsies. You know, you have the quintessential gypsy wearing a scarf and she's got the evil eye on you or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, she's got the crystal ball and a scarf. Over the table. But they did not uh, originate uh, tarot. But I don't know when they started using it. Um, let's see. What else did I find in my notes? Because I prepared it, I promise. Um, oh, okay. I found that um, it started being using, used for cartomancy about a 100 years later in the 16th century. Um. Let's see. They um, used already existing symbols in the cards, and they also brought in some different symbols. Um, and it wasn't used necessarily for a game anymore at that point. Uh, different decks emerged. Um, when when it stopped being hand-painted, mm-hmm. it started being used more as a cartomancy tool. Because first it was just a hand-painted endeavor, and so only the nobility could afford these things. Because um, they were very elaborate, usually using like gold, filigree, and things like that. and. Uh, nobody's going to be able to afford that. So when the printing press came along and um, they started printing these out for fun, everybody had a deck. And in fact, soldiers often carried these things around for playing cards. Uh, The earliest playing cards um, were the printed ones. And because of the variations in printing, um, sometimes they'd get translated poorly from one country to the next when another country wanted to start or another area wanted to start printing these things off. You know, they'd get a kind of a mangled deck that wasn't really easy to see anymore. And they'd try to make their own printing. And it would just be really difficult because they couldn't see it very well. So they'd say, oh, that sort of looks like an acorn. I'll make it an acorn, you know. So some variations came from that. Um, And then when it started being used for divination... um, they started bringing of bring in new symbols um, from the time period, you know, symbols that people would be familiar with and then kind of assigning meanings to them that they would be familiar with. Um, you know, you've got the Pope, uh, the Popess. Um, I've got a deck here that I brought on site. I've got several decks, actually.
3: Well, let me ask you this. Um, would you talk? You mentioned um, Eliphas Lev- Levi earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, that name's come up a couple of times on this show. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's other occult figures that that's kind of started their own deck uh what are some of those some of those figures that are involved in kind of like the further development of the tarot deck?
4: oh um, so let's see
3: have it ready Rob
4: <laughs> have what what ready <laughs> <laughs> uh let's see so Atea was a figure. Um, who f- who was the first to issue an occult specific tarot deck. Um his real name is Jean Patiste Alliette. I'm okay. probably not saying that right. But anyway, so he just turned his last Aliette. name around. Alliette. Uh you gotta get the, at the end.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> so he uh
3: just offended all our French oh, listeners. Yeah,
4: absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not listening to this anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> So uh, Jean-Baptiste Ayet, uh, he just turned his last name around, just reversed it, and came up with his his occult name, which is Atea. I'm probably not saying that right either. Um, but he, he created his own deck specific for occult usage, and he made a, a book for it and everything. Um, he was a French seed merchant and occultist. Uh, he released his first book uh, on occult uses of tarot in the mid-1700s. Um, He says he'd already discovered his information before uh, Antoine Court de Gebelin had released his book, but they were around the same time. So there is some talk about who came out with their information first, but they're not really sure. So Eliphas Levy, or Levi, uh, he's from around the 1800s, and he was a French writer also.
3: This is the very like they think got the very famous like Baphomet <laughs> picture comes from
4: oh really I, yeah. I didn't know that uh, yeah he he did a lot of occult works he he tied the cards to Kabbalah as I mentioned earlier and so a lot of his work was based on the idea of these are uh, tied to a Jewish system of the tree of life and each path between each circle or Sephira is um can be described by a card from the major arcana. Now I should kind of note for people who aren't familiar with tarot, there's two parts to tarot, uh, out of all the cards. There's the major arcana, uh, which are the first, uh, 20 cards in, in the full. And then there's the, the rest of the cards, which are the pip cards and the court cards. Um, you've got the ACE through 10 and then the four court cards that I mentioned earlier, Uh, The king, queen, knight, or prince, and then page or princess, depending on the system that you're using. There's different systems. Um, So you've got all those cards. And each card has a meaning, um, but the major arcana meanings kind of work really well. I have to be honest that even if they weren't originally meant to follow a system of Kabbalah, it works really darn well. Um, And so you can assign a Hebrew letter to each card as well. And so by doing so, you can create, um, if you look at words um, in Hebrew, you can take their letters and see what kind of pathways they would make between the different Sephira and what those meanings would be. So you've got like Tifereth, which is the center Sephira on the tree of life. That's this map of all existence, you know, and you can map it out on this 10 spheres and between the spheres, all of which have their own meaning, there are these different pathways, which also have their own meaning. I'm probably getting this completely confusing for people who have no idea what this is, but I'm trying my best to explain it. Um, but yeah, so it, it seems to work really well. I When I first studied this theory, I thought, well, this is a load of bull. But um, as it turns out, it, it makes sense. And so... Um, whether that's by coincidence or our ability to rationalize systems as human beings perhaps um that's that's kind of his idea um so then you've got Arthur Edward Waite um he's an american born british poet and mystic um he published his his book and his deck of cards in 1910 Um, Again, he kind of drew on imagery that was already present in earlier decks, and he also kind of put forward a whole new system of symbolic interpretations of the cards. And He had his artwork done by Angela Coleman Smith. This is often known as the Rider-Waite deck or the Smith Rider-Waite deck. Uh, This is probably by far the most popular deck um, in all of tarot, at least in America, I would say. I mean, that's the only...
3: I think you've shown me that before. probably yeah Yeah.
4: that's a very popular deck very popular system and it's the most widely used i would think uh, just on my off the top of my head um in fact most of the kickstarters you see today for tarot cards which there are volumes of kickstarters for tarot cards uh, and and etsy shops selling their own tarot cards most of them are based off of an understanding and using symbols or creating new symbols for the meanings that were put forth by uh edward Waite. Uh, Arthur Edward Waite. So Paul Foster Case kind of come up with his own um, tradition as well, Uh, late 1800s to early 1900s, and his deck um, was published uh, unknown. Uh, His earliest tarot book was published um, 1920, but I couldn't find a, a date for when his deck was published. So it's very similar to Waite's deck, Slight changes to the imagery. He has his own separate set of Hebrew letter attributions. And he based his deck on Western mystery traditions. Um, I think it's called the Builders of the Aditum. I, I don't know how that's said.
3: Hmm. B-O-T-A. We're, we're firmly, I think, in the 20th century here, right?
4: Yeah, the B-O-T-A. I don't know how to pronounce that. That the name of that order. The Builders of the Aditum. It's his own little special hermetic order. Um, based on the Golden Dawn. It's
3: not Adamantium, is it?
4: No, it's not Adamantium. <laughs> no Wolverine here. <laughs> Come get some, bub. No, none of that. Um, so yeah, so he's got his own deck going on around the same time. Like there was, so the spiritualism movement uh, yeah. of that time really kind of fostered a lot of this. You'll, right. you'll see. That's why a lot of these decks came out around that time. So then you have Aleister Crowley. Yeah.
3: There it is. <laughs> That's what we were getting ready uh, for. Oh, okay. <laughs> totally makes sense. Because, now. you know, like he's responsible for just about everything we talk about yeah, on he's this show.
4: We've kind of gone through a Crowley <laughs>
3: dry spell lately. Uh, yeah. <laughs> glad I
4: could bring it back around. <laughs> <laughs> Alistair Crowley. Thank you, Rob. <laughs> you know, and. Again, because of my roots, I used to be absolutely frightened of even the name of Crowley. Because, you know, all I knew about him was The Beast. And, uh-huh. you know, he was doing some high weirdness and sex magic and things we don't speak of in good Christian households. Um, yeah. But, you know, I... I,
3: Are you saying they didn't have potlucks at the Abbey of the Lima? <laughs>
4: Oh, these biscuits! <laughs> these old biscuits! Oh, I just whipped them up and t- they probably minutes. didn't
3: sing too many hymns or listen to Carmen at, uh, at the Abbey of
2: <laughs> Lima. Anyway. Oh my God!
4: So, <laughs> so yeah, I I was absolutely frightened of Aleister Crowley. Uh, I, I was still kind of on on the edge about this whole tarot thing, and I had a deck or two, but I was still mostly collecting it out of interest, not actually reading with them for the most part when I came across the ideas of Alistair Crowley and his Thoth deck, or maybe I've heard it pronounced Thoth or Toth or Toth. I don't know how it's said. I, mm-hmm. I've heard all different ways.
3: Yeah, I've heard both too.
4: Um, he's got some weird stuff going on, and I think a lot of it has to do with his drug use, to be honest. Yeah. I think that a lot of his ideas were inspired through altered states, which isn't to discount them. I'm just saying that I think that's where he got a lot of this stuff. Um. But at the time, drug use wasn't an illegal thing, okay? Like, we didn't have, like, drug laws or the war on drugs um, back in those days. I mean, it was just kind of a common thing that certain people used opiates and and other harder drugs. So he was experimenting with a lot of these these drugs that altered your mind and your consciousness, and he thought it was a, a great gateway to kind of open yourself up to these entities or ideas. Uh, So with that in mind, uh, however you feel about drug usage and altered states, just, you can just keep that in mind. But I I think he was really brilliant, but I think he was kind of driven crazy by a lot of the drugs. Honestly, I think that's where a lot of his weirdness came from.
3: Yeah, I would say so too.
4: Um, I think people, I think he liked to troll people. If you're familiar with the term trolling. Yeah. Like, he had a Christian background, and so he would take symbols from Christian mythology, or if you don't want to use the word mythology, Christian writings, and he would try to use these to dig at people and uh, kind of get people worked up over nothing. Yeah. He called himself the Beast for a reason. like Right. He was trying to elicit reactions from people. A
3: lot of the stuff with Crowley was that he was such a – I mean, he was his own publicist. Oh, yeah. Really. And He, he made very hims- highly of himself. He made himself look – as evil as he possibly could, yes, to to scare, I, to to I think yes. to scare away a lot of people,
4: absolutely. And it was
3: just like you know he very much was in the whole idea of as like no press is bad press.
4: <laughs> I think I think that's a very good way of putting it. Yeah. I think for the most part he really wanted to try to create a gauntlet uh, to weed people out, and the people who were really into this or really interested or dedicated would would sift through the bull uh, of this. Uh, persona yeah. he created for himself.
3: Crowley is very, because um, it depends on who you talk to. Because there's a lot of people out there to say you know, he was he's like the ultimate ultimate force of evil. <laughs> and then there's the other camp that's out there that says, well, the guy was just a charlatan. He was a drug addict, and nothing uh, he said was true. He was he was extremely vain and boastful. <laughs> and I think I think it's somewhere I, I, in between. Uh, yeah, I fall the, a little bit
4: more towards that yeah. second camp. But yeah, somewhere yeah. in between there, I think is probably the t- the truth of the matter. So, incredibly intelligent guy. He loved, he loved to dig at people. Gosh, it, if, if you ever get the chance to read uh, a history of uh, his, ta- his Thoth deck uh, by Lon Milo DeKett. It's called Understanding, the Thoth Tele- uh, Understanding Alistair Crowley's Thoth Tarot. Um, honestly, one of the best books out there. It really kind of demystified a lot of it for me. Didn't make it quite as scary.
3: Um, well, another one that uh, actually I got the pleasure of borrowing from you and reading was Alan Moore's uh, Prometheus. Yes, and that's uh, that's there's a lot about Crowley in there, and a lot about Tarot, and also what you just mentioned with Tarot and the um, uh, relationship or the correlation to the Kabbalah mm-hmm. as well.
4: Yeah, uh, beautiful artwork. I can't remember who illustrated that for him, but uh, probably one of my favorite comic books ever. And that's Promethea by Alan Moore. Alan Moore's pretty, pretty intelligent as well. He's a yeah. uh, and a magician and a comic book writer, occultist.
3: Yeah, there's a lot there's a lot of occult themes in his other works, like uh Swamp Thing and Watchmen mm-hmm. and those uh from hell, those, but Promethea it's pretty well just it's all just really his Occult philosophy. Yeah. He's it, just laying it all out absolutely. in comic book form. He
4: just wanted this. This was his playground to just say, yeah. I'm going to lay it all out there for everybody. And and it's beautifully done, uh, especially uh, the issue that he did uh, going through the major arcana of the tarot. I thought that was a fabulous yeah. ride uh, through understanding the tarot. Um, so, um, and of course, the character takes a mystical trip through the tree of life. And along the way, they they encounter lots of tarot themes as well. Which, it, if you haven't read it yet, and you're interested in this kind of topic, uh, totally look it up.
3: Yeah, it's highly recommended because it's something that will help people understand. I mean, you if you if you agree with the occult or you disagree with it, yeah, you know, it'll help people understand where that school of thought is coming from.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Let's talk about your personal experiences. Oh, I have as, to say, by the way, okay,
4: uh, the Thoth deck illustrated yeah. by Lady Frida Harris. Uh, I just like to note that because her work was amazing and uh, she really did a great job and she worked very closely with Alistair Crowley on making the deck. Um, some people say that they must have had a love affair. Not true. Um, there's just not no, one
3: of his Scarlet Women.
4: No, not one of his Scarlet Women. She she did want to learn a little bit about the occult and the mysticism, but she was it was strictly a business arrangement. He would teach her about the occult, and she would paint yeah. all the images, and and she did an amazing job. They're beautiful images. So I just had to throw have that in Have you ever there. heard
3: the conspiracy theory that Barbara Bush is Alistair Crowley's daughter?
4: I think you told that to me once <laughs> when we worked at... We worked together. I think you mentioned that. Uh, I filed that away somewhere in the recesses of my mind.
3: Well, uh, it, her mother really was someone that was kind of like an acolyte of Crowley, and
4: so interesting.
3: If you, if I mean, it's kind of weird to look at like a picture of her and Aleister Crowley side by side because they do kind of look alike. <laughs> is what's kind of scary. Not that I don't think it's complete BS. She just
4: needs, she just needs like the the pyramid hat and like sticking <laughs> yeah, her yeah. hands up to her cheeks. <laughs>
3: Oh God. Well but you know, I've also heard that uh Obama is the son of <laughs> Hitler's daughter and Malcolm X too. So I mean <laughs> let's, love let's child. just <laughs> yeah. we'll,
4: we'll just leave it at that. And yet a Muslim.
3: <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Let's um, talk about your personal experiences uh okay. with you know someone that has read tarot and I want to talk like two categories here what you think is probably a real mystical or spiritual experience that there's something actual tangible there. And then also what you might consider to be just maybe a coincidence or psychological.
4: So personal stories, personal story time. Um, all right. So just some things that I've had happen, just crazy readings that I've had happen for me personally. Um, my husband uh, who is agnostic? He is. He believes in the great I don't know, and so he he's he comes to these things very skeptically. And uh, one evening, uh, I was sitting there playing around the deck and uh, trying to memorize the card meanings and practice some readings. And he came into the room and he's like, "Okay, so give me one of these tarot readings that you're constantly you're constantly fussing around with." All right. Okay, so I I start laying out the cards, and he asks a question. He says, "Okay, so uh, what what is what is important to me?" And so we laid out some cards, and it's really general stuff, uh, stuff like your family, your job, your education, stuff like that. Real real simple kind of stuff. And uh, he says, "Okay, well, when I was a teenager, what was important to me then?" I shuffled and cut the deck three times and pulled out almost the exact same card set, but they were all like inverted or reversed. It was it was things that essentially meant these things were not the same priority for you. They were still important, but like to a lesser degree. It was just very interesting that the same cards came up after I shuffled and cut them three times. Um, so that was interesting. And he was kind of weirded out by that, but he was he wanted to delve deeper. He was like, okay. So his next question was like, uh, what's a good way for me to make money. And, uh, so I shuffled and cut and pulled some cards and it was stuff like, um, you know, really apply yourself to your education, work hard, you know, basic stuff again. He says, okay, now I want to ask a question, uh, what would be the easiest way to make money? So I shuffled and cut and pulled some cards. And it was like steal. Um, <laughs> these shady. are interpretations that
3: you're you're looking at the pictures and you know right. What the-
4: uh, yeah, I was going by the what's called the the little white book. Um, most okay. card decks have a little white book or LWB. If you're on tarot forums, you'll see it acronym LWB. Uh, this is the little booklet that comes with most decks that describes the meanings of the cards that the author of the deck. Uh, meant for them to be, uh, or the artist meant for them to be, uh, and so I was just reading. Because at this point, I didn't have the cards memorized, so I was just reading straight out of the little white book, and so that was interesting. I was doing no interpretation of my own, just reading straight out of the book. And at that point, he was like, "That's weird. I don't want to do this anymore." <laughs> so, uh, so he was he he made tapped him feel out. A little
3: uncomfortable. It huh? made
4: him feel a little uncomfortable. I asked him later. I was like, "So how do you how do you deal with something like that in your?" in your belief of agnosticism, uh, of questioning everything. And he's like, I have no idea. I don't, I don't know. (laughs) Um, And to a certain degree, he also kind of believes that we rationalize a lot of things. And I also believe that to a certain degree when, when we're reading, when, when someone is reading the cards for another person or for themselves, you look at the images, you, you look at the meanings or you've memorized the meanings and you, you kind of start doing this, this storytelling game. You, you look at them and you try to figure out, well, how, how does this apply to my situation? And you, you say, well, it could mean this. Or, or you kind of fudge a little and say, well, it could also kind of mean this. Like the Six of Swords, which is this image in the Arthur Waite system, um, or most systems, where it's this guy traveling across water in a boat. Um, and then, of course, in the Thoth system, he's also got it translated to mean like science. So I remember I was doing a reading for someone and the Six of Swords came up in this career choice. And I was like, so your career might take you on a journey, possibly across the water. And she was like, no, not really. I was like, well, it could also mean science. She's like, oh, yeah, that's it. And, you know, and she started telling me all about how like she was going to do this, this thing in this field that was kind of sort of remotely related to science. I think a lot of times we see things in the cards and we want to try to make it fit. So we kind of shoehorn it in. As best we can. Um, so sometimes when I'm doing a reading for people, and I'll, I'll kind of like say, you know, it can mean this or this, and then I kind of let them fill in the blanks for me. Sometimes though, um, I just kind of go out on a limb and I say, this is what this means. This is what I'm seeing for your reading. And sometimes I make a a, a leap and uh, just kind of go with my gut or my intuition. And a lot of times it's it's spot on. Um, one particular instance of this, which Again, it's one of those circumstances where it's hard to see this and not feel like there's something to it. I was doing a reading online for someone, and um, I had put out. I I do readings on World of Warcraft, which (laughs) (laughs) which tells you something about how nerdy I am. Um, so yeah, my character sits in the inn, and I put out on the trade chat. Super geeking. I'm super geeking out here, hardcore horde for life. Um, so yeah, I have my character sit in the inn. And, uh, I put out a call on trade chat, you know, Hey, I'm doing some readings at the end. If anybody wants to come by, blah, blah, blah. And somebody responded like, I don't believe in that stuff. That's all a bunch of bull. And you're just a charlatan and you're just trying to get people's credit cards. I'm like, uh, this is free. So no. Um, so that same person who was calling me out for being a charlatan a little bit later messaged me and said, actually, I want to see how legit this is. I want you to do a reading for me. I'm like, okay, if you want, that's fine. Um, So, uh, so I did a reading for her and she said, I want you to do a reading for me, um, about my dog. I miss my dog back home. Tell me about how my dog is doing. Okay. So I pulled out these cards and it's stuff like the hermit and on this card, there's the dog of the dead Cerberus, you know, um, I pulled out, Mm -hmm. um, I believe it was the nine of swords, which is all about like sadness and misery and, I forget the other cards. It, it was stuff that was just all about how, how sad everything was and and having a really hard time and changes. And so I went out on a limb and I said, I got to tell you, these are the cards I'm seeing. If I if I had to guess, I'd say your dog is dead. <laughs> mm-hmm. I had a 50-50 chance of being right. Sure. Uh, but I was right. And yeah. um, But I didn't know that immediately because, like, just silence. Nothing back from her. No responses. I thought, you know, either she's disconnected or... I ticked her off, you know, Finally, about 15 minutes later, she responded. She goes, I'm sorry. I had to compose myself. Um, you're right. My dog died a couple weeks ago. I was just really upset um, and really uh, shocked at how on point you were. Um, so that was another one of those w- really weird cases. Like if it would happen like once or twice every once in a while, I'd feel like it was more of a, we rationalize things kind of situation. Yeah. But it happens a lot. And when you have so many cards um in a reading, uh it just seems like it's 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 more than just coincidence. They all seem to kind of fit with the the situation or the reading or the quer- the query. So I feel like if I had to guess of what it is that that makes the cards quote-unquote work the way they do, I'd say number 1, yes, we rationalize a little bit. But number 2, I think some of it is that maybe whatever connects us all. Cause I believe we're all connected and this is going to sound like a whole bunch of woo, but I feel like we're all connected uh, underneath. If you want to call it the soul or the zeitgeist or whatever, um, whatever that makes us all connected on the spiritual realm. I think that maybe the tarot taps into that, you know, with Jungian uh, symbols and um, subconscious kind of symbols that we, that we kind yeah. of latch onto.
3: Yeah. I, I, from you know you've read my you've read the tarot for me uh a few times and i've i've had it done before
4: i can't believe um, you admitted well.
3: that uh what's
4: that i can't believe you admitted that oh <laughs>
3: <laughs> you're gonna lose some christian audience members <laughs> well you know but uh you know i, I and it, it is very strange how accurate it can be but i'm still kind of on the fence of whether it's actual like is actual spiritually guided or whether it's just my mind putting a b and c together
4: and plus i know you so it's yeah. it's it's sometimes hard for me as a reader when i know the person to kind of keep myself dissociated and not read what i already know into the card reading right that's why i find readings online with people almost way easier because I don't have to try to keep that delineation like I don't know these people, I don't even know if they're male or female because we're in yeah. a game yeah. where you can be literally whatever you want, so you know a female troll comes up and sits at my table. <laughs> may actually be a fifteen year old boy but um
3: but it could still be the same kind of psychological thing on the other end
4: could for the be person. but I'm not reading it. Like yeah. they don't have to mention anything to me. I can't even read facial expressions, right. you know, um and unless they choose to give me any feedback along the way, I have nothing to go off of except for what I see in the cards. and I find that way more easy to me because I don't have to worry about that am i am I just reading their body language or am I actually giving a good faithful reading?
3: Well, let's talk about what um what you just mentioned about losing Christian listeners. Oh, <laughs> um, you know, you mentioned your dad um earlier throwing away the Ouija board and then kind of like your interest in it was because it was kind of like this cool kind of forbidden thing. Well, you're a Christian. I, am. I know you and I know your heart. And how do you rectify those two things?
4: So it was because
3: <laughs> generally you're right. I mean, generally like you're, you're kind of like base, you're kind of evangelical Christianity. That stuff is kind of looked down upon.
4: Yeah. I think most of it is for me, as I keep leaning over to pick up this thing that my son keeps dropping, uh, for me, (laughs) it is, uh, I feel like it's, 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 and how you use the tool. Okay. Anything that you have in this world, any kind of tool that you have, you can use it the wrong way. Um, and, um, as a, as, as a side note, if you're worried about divination usage, um, early Christians, and I got this out of a book by Metzger, uh, who, who does a lot of um, work on translating uh, early Christian texts. There was a little side note in there that I thought was interesting. Early Christians would write bits of information on the margins of the earliest codices, the earliest Bibles, uh, so to speak, compilations of... Uh, writings. And yeah. then they would answer people's divination questions by just opening up the codices to whatever page and then reading whatever notes they'd put on it uh, and whatever verses were relevant from that page. Um, and as you mentioned when we were talking earlier before the show, um, people still do this. I certainly did uh, when I was a little bit more conservative and was looking for s- signs from God. You know, if I had a question that needed answering, I would go to my Bible and just open it up to a random page and just read until something seemed to make sense. And so I think uh, I'm not the only one who does this. um, But that is a kind of divination that earliest Christians used to do and still do today to a certain extent. Um, It is in the old and new Testament. Um, There was um, a Levitical law about how to divine whether or not your wife was cheating. I forget exactly everything you had to do, but it was like this, this, it was a ritual and it was a divination ritual essentially. And depending on how the fallout happened, um, it would tell you whether or not she was cheating on you. And then of course you would act accordingly. Um, You would beat the crap out of her. And then the man that she was cheating on you with would, you know, I guess go free. I don't know. So, So there's that. It's in the Old Testament. An actual law given by God on how to use divination to divine his truth. And then, of course, you've got the New Testament usage um, where you had after uh, Judas um, killed himself, uh, they needed to fill his spot amongst the apostles. And so, sorry, my son is losing it. Yes, I know. So Well, he's cute. We won't, he's we won't cute. hold that against him. Our viewers can't see, but just rest assured, he's very adorable. Um, and so th- to fill his spot, they drew lots. And yeah. I think sometimes people kind of gloss over that not really understanding what that is. It's divination. They would take it's sort of like taking straws, you know, and kind of like drawing a straw. It's sort of on the same scale as that. Um so so there's divination in the Old and New Testament in in kind of these acceptable ways. Um, I think it's in how you use that tool that makes it right or wrong, Uh, makes it acceptable or not acceptable. I pray over my decks. I pray before readings um, so that I can use them correctly or use them in the right way. if somebody comes to me with a question that I don't think I should be answering, like a medical question, I'm not a doctor. I tell people to go to the stinking doctor. I'm not answering that question. <laughs> um, you know, I had a, a person come up to me and wanted to have a reading about his family. Yeah. And my son really wants to be a part of this conversation. Um, He's adding
3: wanna, some things about tarot here. Yes.
4: Very important. Put this in the in the viewer notes. Um, uh-oh. But yeah, he... Uh, he, this guy wanted to have a reading about his family and so as part of the reading um you know I'm reading these cards and I'm getting a lot of stuff like abuse and depression and so I'm reading that out to him and I say you know this looks like a really bad situation and and he confirms he says you know you're you're absolutely right this is the kind of situation that I'm in and and he starts talking about some abuse and I said I'm going to stop you right here you don't need a tarot reading you need to go to somebody for help and yeah. So I looked up some some different things, some resources online, and I shared them with them. And I said, look, I really want you to don't go to tarot for help on this. Like, you need to go seek some professional help. I right. can recommend going to someone you trust who can help you extricate yourself from the situation, but you need to get out. And I'm not going to read tarot for somebody who clearly needs help from a real world source, okay? I use tarot for self-introspection. Um, some people look to it for a fun kind of party parlor trick, like divination or whatever. Fine, whatever. I don't care. But if you need real help from a professional, I'm not going to sit there and read tarot for you. Like, Oh yes, you're cancer. You need to drink some special juice. And no, <laughs>
3: yeah, go yeah. to a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> then you run the risk of how, of inadvertently like indirectly killing somebody. Right. I don't yeah. want that on my conscience, right, you know?
4: Right. Um, And then, of course, there's people who abuse it and they come back over and over and over and they start getting really dependent on the tarot. They don't even want to do anything on their own until they consult the cards, you know, or consult their tarot reader. And I don't want to be a part of that either. Like, if I feel like someone's abusing the system, I kind of like try to pull back a little bit. Like, you know, maybe you ought to start trying to make your own decisions. Try to build your own confidence in, in doing things on your own and on your own merit. Trust your own instincts a little bit to a certain extent don't feel so much like you have to depend on the cards. They're not supposed to be used that way. Um, so I, I don't, I don't do that either. I try to be a little responsible. I've got my own ethics. Um,
3: well, there's a bunch of cards in the deck mm-hmm. and I want to know your favorite ones and kind of like what they symbolize.
4: Gosh, I guess for me, a lot of it is driven by the artwork. So it depends from deck to deck. um, like my most recent deck that I purchased is um, is the Chariot is my favorite just because it's just so beautiful. Um, I think the Aquarian deck has some really beautiful images. Um, the Moon is a very beautiful card in that deck. It, actually, the Moon is usually a very beautiful card. Some people buy a deck only based on how the artwork looks on certain cards, either their favorite cards or you know, very important cards for themselves. <clears throat> most people have... Uh, a personification card that personifies them in their readings when they're doing readings for themselves for me it's usually the queen of cups i feel like that suits me very well um so some people buy a deck based solely on what those images are like on those cards that they find of interest for me it's just kind of more of an overall like does the artwork speak to me kind of level um do I find anything compelling in the artwork? Cuz if I'm doing a reading and the artwork is hideous, I'm not going to be able to focus on anything other than why is his leg not the right shape? You know, that's going to really bother me <laughs> when I'm trying to focus on the meanings. Um so gosh, um overall my favorite card, High Priestess is really nice. Uh I like how it's this um search for the unknown, kind of a mystical seeking. Um, she's usually hidden by a veil, um, meaning you can't just yank it back. You've got to approach her and um, she'll reveal herself to you. You can't just go in there blazing up the steps and pull the veil back yourself. She usually has some sort of bow or something that she can smack you down with, but um, she's a really important card. I think, I think I like her also of note symbols in the cards, the high priestess is usually some somewhat a mirror image of the queen of cups, which I always thought was interesting. There's lots of little hidden gems like that in tarot decks. Like often the, the author or the illustrator of the deck will put their own little special twist, their own little kind of like night na- name or something, some sort of like a signifier of, of their self in the ace of discs or ace of coins. That's usually kind of, their place they'll put like their little extra touch.
3: Well, that reminds me of like Crowley's deck. Wasn't it a little bit pornographic?
4: (laughs) Yeah. uh, So
3: (laughs) not for children,
4: not for children. Yeah. If you look at it, it, uh, can I say that on, on the show about what it looks like?
3: I mean, if it's an anatomical term. yeah.
4: Yes, it is an anatomical term. Yes. It's, it looks like a penis entering a vagina. Uh, If you, if you were inside the vagina looking out, that's what it looks like. And Mm. there's all this, ephemeral kind of like spewing stuff coming out around the edges and it's very flowy if and only
3: luke was here if
4: only luke was here
3: <laughs> i'm sure there'd be some snickers
4: <laughs> uh so yeah there's there's that um so it's totally his mark on the on the deck i think
3: oh yeah well Crowley was just obsessed with sex i mean that's just all. yeah, yeah that's <laughs> kind of
4: the kind of the crux of a lot of his his philosophy was well based on sex
3: do we want to do you want to do a reading on the show? Yeah, yeah sure. We yeah. can do one. Now, Rob, uh, while she's getting this set up, what do you think about all this with Tarot? What's kind of like your experiences with it? And then also, do you want to do a do you want to do a reading from you since Heather's read knows me?
1: Um yeah, yeah, we can do that.
4: Yeah, I don't know you as well.
3: So it would be better to have to do
1: something that you yeah, think can think of, you know.
4: As I'm looking through my cards to find a deck that I really want to use.
1: So do I need to think of something that I need to like, that I'm
4: like a question? Yeah. You can, I can just do a general reading if you prefer.
1: Yeah. That sounds like fun. We'll do something general. Okay. Right. I'll be using
4: this... the Aquarian tarot. For our I mean, listeners.
1: do you think there's more of a
3: psychological thing or you think there's a lot more to it?
1: Um, well, like, like a lot of, um, a lot of topics that we talk about along these lines. I, I tend to think that the more people believe in it and the more energy invested in it, the mm-hmm. more, um, the more something tends to work you know um i i don't think there's anything special about the cards themselves or the images themselves i mean it's all created by artists and it's all just kind of been handed down but just i think our general belief in it definitely lends um power to it and it's the same with any other form of of divination yeah i mean you can flip a coin to make all your decisions if you want it's not going to go 50 50 even though that's the odds
3: Right, it's all what we put into it. Right, in the in the end,
1: so we got <laughs> the cards out.
4: Yeah, I got I uh, whipped the cards out.
1: Do we need to readjust so we have space to work there? Or?
4: Um, I can do it on this table here if you want. If you want to move this, what is this like little hockey table?
1: Yeah, let's little, let's pause real quick and okay. get this the up.
4: All right, so I got my deck here. This is the Aquarian Tarot. This was my first deck. Very seventies Art Nouveau. It's it's really lovely. The faces, and my only problem is the faces all look really bored. <laughs> I have a hard time with the faces. But uh, other than that, it's a beautiful deck. So, I like to, my little ritual that I do when I'm doing a reading is that I, um, you know, I usually ask the, the querent or the person asking the questions uh, what their question is. So, Rob, do you have a specific question?
1: Um... Nothing that comes to mind.
4: Okay. So what I'll do for you is a general reading. Um, I, I've i done four card readings for general readings before, but I'm going to do a Celtic Cross. And it's a little bit more detailed. Um, more overall picture of what's going on in your life. So I, what I do is I shuffle and then I cut my deck three times. Um, so that's what I'm doing right now. you can hear the sounds of the deck being shuffled here and oh yeah so myths uh, revolving around the usage of tarot some people believe the person asking the question or the querent has to touch the deck um being that I give readings online for the most part I can't really do that so um I actually do more of whatever goes I don't really believe that a certain ritual has to happen in order for it to work when you, do, when
1: you do it online, do you get their name or anything about them?
4: No, nope, not usually. I mean, unless they want to give that to me. Um, so I, I just don't really generally feel like you have to do a, th- a certain thing a certain way in order for it to work. Some people, I mean, that's their thing. That's their jam. You know, they got to have it a certain way or else, oh, my God, it's not going to work. So I mean, if that's the way you feel about your card reading, totally follow your ri- ritual to make it feel good for you, to make it work for you. But for me, I mean, I do things a certain way. I I shuffle and cut three times, mostly just because I want to make sure they're they're well shuffled, not because I feel like it has to do it that way in order to work. So so here we have, I've I've shuffled the deck three times and cut it three times. So the first card I'm laying down is the signifier for you, the querent. This is the nine of pentacles. She's inverted. Um, Here, um, I'm going to lay a card on top of her. And this is the eight of rods inverted. So this is kind of you and your current situation. I'm gonna go ahead and lay some other cards out because I feel like that kind of gives me a better idea of what's going on. Are you recording this video as well? Yes. Oh, interesting.
3: So we'll put it on. I'll, I'll put this on the uh, Facebook page on my Facebook page. So right on. Just
4: no pressure. Somebody just walked into the studio with some really lovely perfume, by the way. <laughs> All right. So. This is a Celtic cross reading. You've got the cross shape going on here and then the staff. Um, So how I would read this. Uh, We've got the nine of pentacles inverted. Usually she means some sort of like money is going well when she's upright. You know, money's going well, maybe an inheritance of some sort, like a a big bit of money has kind of come in for you or you're kind of reaping the fruits of your labor. But when she's inverted, not so much. Maybe something is kind of holding that back or like you expected a, a bit of money to come in, but it's just not working for you. Or I spend um, a bunch
1: of money renovating a studio. Uh,
4: per- perhaps, um, which is interesting, <laughs> because the eight of rods, when it's upright, is um, it means signals. It means uh, communication. Um, usually, it's like I like to interpret this card as like you and your friend when you're first getting to know your friend. You stay up all night and you talk for hours, and like there's just this overflow of words, and um, you can. It's almost like it's it's like you're you're just throwing them up almost like it's too much you can't even keep up with it but it means signals like communicating really quickly um this is inverted as well i would say that that makes a lot of sense to me that the studio the place where you send out your communication signals is directly affecting that nine of pentacles inverted that makes a lot of sense to me um sorry i need to pick up my son he's making noise <laughs> oh, hey buddy and also
3: to um I want to talk a little bit about those, those myths where we're kind of going through this as well. It's kind of like the myths that are involved.
4: Oh yeah. Some people believe you have to keep them wrapped in silk. Yeah. You have to be gifted your first deck or you can only use a used deck.
5: Hmm.
4: Uh was another one I saw. Um, or you can never use a used deck, which was interesting. I saw that one as well. Like it would have bad energies associated with it. It would have it
3: somebody else's energy on it.
4: Mm-hmm. That was one. Um, Another one was, nobody can touch your cards but you. And then another one was, the querent has to touch the deck, has to touch the cards in order for it to work for them, to get a good reading for them. Uh, you have to shuffle three times. Um, some people believe it's got to be another number, uh, like how many times it has to be cut as well, and with which hand. Some people are like, you have to cut the deck with your left hand only. Um, so that's another ritual that I found has to be wrapped in silk Uh, you can't charge money for a reading was another one that i found that's one i've heard a lot Uh, like once you start charging money um the accuracy of the readings or the the heart of the readings will be forever changed or you yourself as a reader will be forever changed
3: i know there's people out there that do charge for tarot reading yes and
4: I'm, i'm actually one of them i don't do it um in World of Warcraft, I don't charge money. I work for in-game gold tips. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> there is that. Um, which I've gotten quite a few really large tips. I got like a thousand gold once. I'm like, wow, that's okay. Um, and then there's, um, you can't do readings for yourself. I used to follow this for a while. Not so much because I felt like it was a, a taboo. But just because I had a hard time dissociating myself from rationalizing things into and out of the cards. It's sort right. of like... When you get like a first year psychology student, they read through the book and it's like, oh, my God, I'm all of these. You know, it's sort of that like, you know, you come upon the death card. It's like, oh, my God, someone's going to die. And you start walking around feeling (laughs) weird. Uh, I have a hard time with dissociating myself from the reading in that way. So I usually just don't read for myself for that reason. Not because I feel like it's some sort of evil taboo that I'm going to break something in the cards. Um, But yeah, going back to the, the reading here, I think I've covered all of these. Yes, that's all the myths that I found. I mean, there are some reader, readers um, who follow those those rules for themselves. And to them, I say, hey, if it works for you, if it makes the system work more real for you and feel more real, and if that's how you understand it and, and jive with it, that's your thing. You know, you do you, whatever blows your hair back. But for me, I just feel like that's giving it way more power than I particularly feel like I need to. Yeah. Um, um, and on that note, I, I had somebody gift me a voodoo doll once. Uh, they went down to, um,
0: oh, that's nice of them.
4: Yeah, they went down to New Orleans and they came back with like a voodoo doll and they were like, "Here, I got this for you." Oh, thanks, thanks. <laughs> for that. Um, I, I don't practice voodoo, but um, I was very wary that you know it could have some power. I didn't really know how to handle it, so I went to a um, practitioner of voodoo and um, thought maybe they could help me dispose of it. And she was like, "Honey." You don't practice voodoo, so it's not going to do anything. Just throw it away. (laughs) So I kind of felt like that was a a good way to think about these kinds of things. Yeah. So going back to this reading here that I've got laid out, um, we got the Six of Cups in the past that may be kind of influencing you now in general. Six of Cups is kind of a nostalgia card. Um, Maybe in the past you've kind of nostalgically held on to things or – move forward on some things based on some childhood dreams. Um, Sometimes there's an underlying element of kind of like, there's a, like the picture has a whole bunch of like flowers and all these barrels. Um, And in some, in some card decks, it's more like, um, uh, it's, it's more like a cloying scent from those flowers rather than a, a nice scent from those flowers. So, living too much in the past can be a problem. So holding on too tightly to those nostalgic dreams can cause issues. Um,
2: <laughs>
4: all right. So leading directly into the immediate future, five of cups uh, inverted, kind of a feeling of ennui. maybe a feeling of like, not quite being where you want to be. Um, it's like you're at a party and everybody else is having a good time. And you're just kind of sitting around feeling like, why am I even here? That kind of feeling of, Being somewhere, but not really being present. Um, That feeling of maybe you're not being noticed like you want to be noticed, or nobody is really using your talents in the way you want them to. That's how I usually read that card. Um, What crowns you at this moment, the king of swords, I would say this is probably how you see yourself. Uh, Swords are a suit that deals with thoughts, communications, um, a good listener, perhaps. The fact that it's the king here and that he's upright, I think is a really good, uh, you try to be this king of swords. This is maybe not so much how you see yourself, but more like, this is what you try to be.
1: Yeah. Eddard Stark.
4: Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, please don't end up like Eddard <laughs> Stark. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so Let the game of
5: Thrones <laughs> references fly.
4: <laughs> oh dear Lord. Uh, but, um, Stark, good decisions. Um, So, yeah, the King of Swords, is he's all about that life. He's all about, like, being an upright, good listener, um, a good um, conversationalist. He he offers really good advice, Um, sometimes an older fellow, um, but just real upright, real upstanding kind of guy. Um, Down below that is the Seven of Cups. This is kind of like in your subconscious what's going on. Seven of Cups, inverted. Here is, like, kind of... Too many wishes. Like, this card really threw me when I first got it. I don't know if you can put this, if you can get a really good shot of this. When I first got this deck, and this was the first deck I had, so I was just learning the cards. Like, this weird, like, helmet up here in the corner really threw me. I had no idea what this is supposed to talk about. This is all about, like, wish fulfillment. Like, chasing after wishes and, like, kind of like playing the wishing game instead of actually doing things. So maybe this is more of a subconscious, like, you're not moving as much as you're wishing. And this is kind of happening in your subconscious level. Um, so over here in the staff, this is more about you here specifically in leading up to the goal card. Five of swords inverted. Um, this is how you see yourself. Um, this is how you truly see yourself, not just how you wish you were like the king of swords, but how you really see yourself. Five of swords inverted. Um, kind of cleaning up the mess after a battle image that we have here um, in in kind of like in a bad way like you feel like the battle wasn't really accomplishing anything and you feel like maybe um, things didn't go the way you wanted them to and you feel like you're stuck cleaning up the mess Um, you feel like you're perpetually cleaning up after this perpetual mess of a battle of some sort Um, this is maybe how you see yourself in a certain degree Um, up above that is how others see you. This is the Ace of Rods inverted. Um, I would say this is more like, the Ace of Rods are, are, it's the culmination of all things rods. And the suit of rods is all about will and making things happen, bringing ideas into the physical world and like making them reality and forcing that will on the outside world. And so... The rods is all about that. Um, in some decks, this card is very phallic. Uh, it is a phallic symbol. Uh, in this deck, it looks like a really beautiful blooming iris of some sort. Um, it's really pretty, uh, but still a little phallic. Listeners, there, if you want to get that inverted here, I feel like maybe other people see you as this person who could really potentially get a lot of things, a lot of things done, but something is holding you back. They see that potential in you, but they see that your will isn't quite manifesting, either maybe not manifesting fully or just not manifesting at all. Um, Hopes and dreams, kind of fears and wishes kind of card up here. This is that setting. And in this setting, we have the nine of cups inverted. Uh, In a lot of these decks, you've got um, nine cups and an image of a really happy bearded guy, um, usually fat corpulent um this is a really good happy card this really essentially means that all things are going awesome inverted that doesn't mean that it's not going awesome it just means that it's not going quite as awesome as it really could be um this is your 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 fear like you're not really so much worried that things aren't going to work out you're more worried that it's not going to work out as well as it could um scenario of whatever
1: i feel that way generally in life a
4: lot (laughs) that makes sense uh, and so then finally in the goal card or the outcome card, since this is a general reading there's not really an outcome that we were working towards but I would say in kind of like the sum card I guess I would say the sum of this generalized reading about you and your general state is the hierophant and um, in in this card is inverted this time. the hierophant could mean an actual person um, or it could be an actual. Or actually, just an idea. Um, he's he's usually uh, a pope figure or some sort of religious figure. Uh, he stands for order, um, wisdom of the ages. Um, he could be an actual person in your life who is a religious leader or some sort of person of a, a faith that is important to you, or um, it could just be the idea of hearkening back to old wisdom that you've come across. Um, Here he's inverted, which I would say is more like you're pushing against those boundaries instead of seeking them. Um, You're more interested in seeking beyond what the Hierophant has brought in the past. Um, I guess you, you seem more like a questioning kind of guy. And I think I've, I've listened to enough of the shows that I think you're not really a a particular religion, if I'm remembering correct, but I see. I seem to think that this would, this would indicate more of a seeking beyond specific religious boundaries. That's that's what I see in these cards. Hmm. Are you getting actual video of me sweating my <laughs> my butt off here? I got like beads of sweat. It's hot in here.
3: It is hot in here. <laughs>
4: Thanks. I didn't even wear makeup. Rob,
3: what do you think about all this? Like, what's your what's your impression?
1: Did
4: that make sense at all?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um. <clears throat> I think it's interesting. Like the, the like I said, the main thing that's been on my, my mind is the, the stuff going on here. I spent all last week working, doing renovations out here with my dad. And, um, I am worried that I didn't get as far as I wanted to, and I'm kind of stuck in the middle of a project now. And It's going to cost more than I thought it would. Now that it's, I mean, it'll get done, but it's going to take a lot more time and effort. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out that last one, the hierophant.
4: Yeah? Didn't make a lot of sense to you? Yeah. I don't know. Well, sometimes I just lay another card on it and see what's happening. So, 3 of cups. Interesting. I would never have paired those two. So, 3 of cups is kind of like a sisterhood. Um, it's kind of like a group of people. It's your tribe, it's your clique, it's your it's your happy people that you go to to like drink beers with and chill. Um I when it's upright like this, I think that's a good influence. When it's upside down, sometimes I feel like it can be more of a catty kind of cliquish thing. Like uh. Um, like, infighting with, with your people. Um, Sometimes I think you can get so entwined with the lives of your tribe and the people that you hang out with that sometimes it can be a little destructive. But um, here it's upright, so I feel like this is more like a happy kind of version of that. Like, this is your group of people that you go to. So I don't know if that makes any more sense to you or if that means anything at all. Like, what? maybe you're seeking outside the parameters of your tribe. I don't know. Maybe. Interesting.
3: Well, very cool, Heather. I want to thank, thank you. you for this coming on and talking about it and doing a little reading here. No problem. Uh, tell everybody um, you know, you're kind of have your own little thing going on with this, and people could get in touch with you if they wanted to get a reading.
4: Yeah, I do readings uh, online um, in World of Warcraft, but um, no, but I also do readings <laughs> um, via my website, um, which is Ask Shuffle Cut dot wix that's w i x dot com slash tarot um and you can um you can find the different reading services that i do there and it's got my email address right now because i don't feel like paying extra money a month for them to host a paypal button the way you can do it is that you can just find the reading on there that you want and then you can email me my email is on the website and then i'll send you a paypal request and then we'll go from there um
3: And I will have that on the, uh, I'll have that website up on the uh, show, the show page and the show notes as well.
4: Awesome. And I also have a, um, a Facebook page for my business. And mostly that's just, I use that to kind of talk about the cards and I talk about the symbols in the cards, just kind of like a card of the day situation where I talk about the meanings of the symbols and what it, what it could mean in a divination. Excellent. And I'll give you that as well so that you can post that if you want.
3: Excellent. Well, Heather, thank you so much. Oh, no problem. We're going to go ahead and we're going to break right here, guys. And we're going to be right back with the next guest on Normal.
1: Hello, everyone. Time for a wake-up call. This is Joe from Light and Motion Tracker. What if I told you that a scientist has figured out how to capture real live ghosts on camera in a more reliable way? You'd probably think I'm crazy, but this is completely real and not a joke. I've personally seen angels and many other types of spirits using this technology. This is huge. This means that the afterlife is real. I want everyone to take out their phones and go to lightandmotiontracker.com and download the free app. It's completely free. You don't have anything to lose and give it a try yourself. If you like it, give us a good rating. Tell your friends about it, and post your evidence on social media.
0: Thank you for your time.
3: Hey, guys, we're back on Normal, And I want to thank Heather for being with us, uh, talking about tarot and uh, how she uses it, her experiences with it. But now we're going to do a complete 180, because on the line, I have... The host of the iron show mr johnny mcmahon otherwise known as longshoreman johnny and uh i think we're going to be in for a wild ride johnny very good to have you on Conspiracy normal it's been a long time coming buddy release
8: the clark oh yeah it's so nice to be here with you Yeah, I've arrived. <laughs> I'm a normal. Oh, I feel so happy. I could, I could cry tears of joy just like Miss America. Oh, if only I was dressed just like her.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, I think I'm going to pass out. Whit. There's a head rush coming. Oh, okay. Oh, that's better. <laughs> What's up, guys? What's up, man? <laughs> <laughs> I,
8: think just, that's,
3: like, I think that's the wildest and craziest it's ever gotten on this show, man.
6: <laughs> yeah,
8: yeah I, we haven't even started yet. It gets worse. I'm not sure <laughs> anyone
6: can top that intro, honestly. <laughs> so, Johnny, how you doing, buddy?
8: All right, I'm hanging out in the trailer park at the end of the world. Yeah. uh, Live in my uh, trailer park studios in the Iron Show studios here and uh, hanging out with you guys. It's uh, actually such an honor to be on Conspiranormal. It's like my favorite show. It used to be the Bruce Collins show. But then um, Bruce got so full of himself. No, I'm messing with Bruce right
3: now. <laughs> we, love, we love Bruce. So
8: <laughs> I was like, oh, somebody asked me the other day. They're like, hey, what's that awesome music at the beginning of the Bruce Collins show? I said, oh, that's Bruce tooting his own horn.
5: <laughs>
8: no, my favorite show now is Conspiranormal because it's an awesome show. You know, I've listened to Coast to Coast like forever, like yeah. in a day and like i like this better than than coast to coast i think it's oh, like oh man
3: wow dude thank you yeah that's it, that's it, that's big time there brother
8: yeah, well it's, yeah i mean well i know the, you know they have a cardboard cut ha- cut out over at that show it seems like and like real people here yeah so did i say that or was i just thinking it <laughs>
6: I think you said it out loud. I've got to question your taste in podcasts. Then, <laughs> just, well, well, I do have to ask you this. I
3: understand, Johnny, that you uh, that you have started the official Luke uh, fan club.
8: I do. I'm the president, and I have uh, like a Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club uniform that I wear <laughs> with a big button on uh, hanging off my left nipple that says "I love Luke." <laughs> can we
1: can we get a photo of that that's really humbling yeah yeah
8: dude actually i'm not endorsing him for president this year though Uh yes i am voting for uh large meteor
3: (laughs) yeah i think we're voting for that me and
6: you both dude i should have wrote that in on the ballot
3: unfortunately unfortunately luke isn't old enough to run for president but he'll he'll get there soon
8: so Yes, this message was paid for by like the large meteor campaign. <laughs> <laughs> I am large meteor and I have approved this broadcast this message. <laughs> anyway, yeah.
3: <laughs> so man, we were we were talking uh in our intro about everything that's been going on lately, um like the last the, three like days. S-
8: like the gay nightclub and the cop shooting in Dallas. I think you guys yeah. are going to talk about the cop shooting in Dallas.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, and also the two shootings that occurred, the one in Baton Rouge and the one in Minneapolis. I, 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 You know, we were talking about it earlier and I just want to kind of get your thoughts on it too, man. Like what's, what's going on? What do you think is, well, what do you think is happening out there right now? I mean, are we, are we under some kind of attack? Is it, uh, is it false flag? Is it, Uh, something else i mean what's going on
8: i had this really trippy theory that uh about the pulse nightclub shooting that um i came up with and then it got totally blown away by and replaced by another theory but the first theory doesn't work without the second theory and the second theory doesn't work without the first theory so the first theory is um you know how like okay like you got like a radicalized muslim right and he's gonna like do damage to america right i'm not like his mission Okay, so, okay, I mean you and me, you know, I know you, Adam, and and Rob, and I know Luke. We all think it's really terrible, you know, that the dude went in there and, um, you know, and blasted all those people and everything. But your average like American, like red blooded American, uh, uh, is usually thinking. I mean, think about it. I mean, to your right, to your average white blooded, red blooded American. Red, white, and blue-blooded American. <laughs> I mean, what? So you're gonna hurt America, right? So why why would you shoot up a gay club full of Mexicans? I mean, most—I don't know—most half, maybe half the Americans out there will not would never admit it, but what they would probably call that would be like a good start, right? I mean, that's yeah,
3: I mean there's a certain amount of that mentality out there,
6: I mean, you are right, yeah, I actually had a coworker that said that he's like he goes he goes, man, uh, I hate that someone had to die, he's like, but it couldn't have happened to a better demographic
3: <laughs> yeah. i mean, I mean unfortunately that's that's kind of the attitude that's out there too <laughs> and i can't I can't help but think that think the same thing when it happened of just like. How yeah. sympathetic so, is this gonna is this gonna be? I mean, was this to try to kind of engender some sympathy?
8: Well, first so you think so so you've got a Muslim who wants to hurt America. I mean, that's their that's their their mission, right? A radicalized Muslim wants to hurt America. Why does he pick a night a gay nightclub full of Mexicans to hurt America? Well, I mean, your average America, that's not like the way you do it. I mean, you'd have to You'd have to go for some, you know, you know. You'd have to go for some um, mom Chevy and apple pie type stuff, right? That's what yeah. you would think if you're some a Muslim. Kind, you're some here, kind right?
3: of come some kind of symbol, Wrigley Field, or yeah,
8: yeah, yeah, sports event or whatever or something. You know, something that really hit the heartbeat of America, right? Um, so you think so? What What it hit me was is this has got to be some kind of a Some kind of a setup by the Illuminati or somebody or the dark evil forces in power uh, because uh, why? Because it doesn't make any sense. It's like a setup. It's like, then I got to thinking, well, what if you were really smart and you were setting this whole thing up? Um, Because you could, you could like hurt a lot of people, a lot of demographics all at once, right? You could get, you could, you could give the Muslims a bad name. You could give all the people on the right a bad name, right? You could um, then so, and you would also be having several several simultaneous things. You'd be having a radicalized Muslim attack. There's one. You would be having a hate crime, right? There's two. You'd be having a racial crime, which is another hate crime. There's three. You know, one yeah. gay, one Mexican, right? So that's like three. That's like three, and then you'd have a gun crime. So there's four blows that the left wing, like liberals, I don't want to say Democrats because I'm a longshoreman, I'm a Democrat, but the left wing um, um, gun-hating liberal crowd, that's the one – that's a really perfect plan to stir them up. So you're ultimately are –
3: Yeah, you've got all these perfect, memes all at the same time.
8: Right. You ultimately are hurting the right side of America, the right wing, the the gun-loving uh, red, white and blue-blooded American citizens because <laughs> you've you've fueled the fire for the left. Right? It's like ingenious. Yeah. Right? So that makes me think definitely it wasn't this is was a setup. This guy's like programmed like a program multiple or something. I mean, and plus, you know, there's there's a lot of different reports that the guy was gay himself and had been using his phone
3: to. It's like, there's like a self loathing that was involved. And and one thing that I didn't mention uh, when we talked about it on the show was I, I really feel like some of the people that died in that incident, I really feel that some of them were killed by the SWAT team. That it was like the Moscow theater. Back in two thousand two, do you remember what I'm talking about?
8: No, I don't. I'm not you mean uh, the that Batman was screening? That, that
3: was when the Chechnians, uh took over. Oh. There were the Chetian terrorists that took over this theater in Moscow during an opera, and they were uh, there. There was a standoff for like days, and finally, the police went in there, and they not only did they kill them, but they killed a whole bunch of hostages too using poison gas. And I I feel like maybe the same similar thing happened at the Pulse nightclub, at least later on in the night, that a few of those people died because of quote-unquote friendly fire.
8: Do you think maybe they were misidentified as hostiles or it was another part of a conspiracy?
3: Well, you never know in the heat of the moment.
8: Right, the fog of war. Yeah. Yeah yeah that, yeah,
3: and they just and so they just said well it was just the guy that did it all and not that i don't think that he didn't kill most of those people but some of them the way that they lit that place up some of them had to have been killed by the SWAT team there's well, just no way
1: the way the way i keep looking at all of these things all these current events all these mass shootings and um you know, re- overly publicized shootings and it's it's all divisionary tactics at this point to me it's You know, this group and this group put them together, stirred up. This group and this group stirred up, and I think I've said this before on the podcast, but it's working really, really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It
8: is. It's, and I can't. I don't. I mean, I understand like the Sandy Hook thing. That makes sense. I mean, what better to get um, sentiment towards anti-gun than to kill a bunch of little kids? Yeah, with guns. Right? That made a lot of sense there. I mean, ultimately, right off the bat, I'm like, if this really happened, it's like a total setup. And then, especially because the guy, like, when they caught him, he didn't even – it's like he didn't even remember even being there. I'm like, dude, this is a total programmed multiple. Although you do have, uh, like, things like the FBI going on record saying that there were no homicides reported. Or they have no official homicides on record for that quarter in that area of the country?
3: Well, in the in the case of Sandy Hook, I believe they found Adam Lanza dead and they found his car in the parking lot, but I'm not convinced that he actually did anything. I think he was just dead already and he was dumped there.
8: I'm thinking of another guy then. The one yeah, before you're the
3: thinking of, of uh the uh the Aurora shooting in yes. uh Colorado. Sorry. He was sitting in his car, and yeah, not remembering what, a thing of what he did.
8: Total program multiple. That's what I think. Black and Awakening. It
3: had, had and had been had been involved in some kind of uh, neurological program at uh, a university in that area. I forget which one, but uh, that was very odd in and of itself. That was uh was it James Holmes? Yeah.
8: And then we have the singer of the voice that was on the voice. Um, yeah, was there, uh, Christina Grimmie. Grimmie, yeah, that was and and this whole thing all came out. Also, this everything came out. It seemed like right when Hillary Clinton was getting the heat for the email server. Well,
1: it always seems to happen that way, doesn't it? I <laughs> don't know. But
8: we were just talking him- about that. Really, you're talking about that? Yeah, well... well you can't it, really use that, though, as an argument, like a diversionary, because the attorney general had already thrown that out. Yeah. So, I mean... But it's well, odd.
3: it was all over the news, and then all of a sudden the news just kind of cycles over to something else really quick.
8: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even though the attorney general throws it out, it just it doesn't matter. It's already out there, and the heat's on her. And like at a time when she could really not use that. Yeah. You know, at a time when hopefully a lot of Americans, she hopes, had forgotten about the incident, right?
3: Well, I believe that what happens is, is that these things happen and the media harps hops on it and then our politicians hop on it too. And I'm not saying that in certain cases some things are not caused, but you don't know which one is and which one isn't.
8: Yeah, you know, another thing that happened too, that put the heat on her was that Benghazi movie. I, you know, I rented that as soon as it came out.
3: So yeah, I not, I've not I've not seen that.
8: Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Another one, I just another another uh, movie I rented today was Sam Jackson. It's kind of like an early rent. It's like it's not really out there, but it is if you know where to get it. And <laughs> it was Cell. Oh, that was really cool. It was really cool people's self cell phones like turned them into zombies. But they didn't like. They didn't didn't, like eat each other. They didn't like eat people. I mean, there was yeah. There's a lot of violence and a lot of you know axes and chainsaws. But I mean, (laughs) nobody was like eating other people. One guy, one one um uh uh uh, canine unit guy, cop took a bite out of his dog. But but what I saw was.
3: (laughs) <laughs> rovers down there <laughs> 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 this, this sounds like a good quality film
5: here
8: oh, yeah, well anything with Sam Jackson right um, <laughs>
6: I'm going to have to download uh, that once, when I get home too
8: <laughs> yeah it's called Cell it's a Stephen King what really got me though is while they weren't eating people they were. I did see several people eating big chunks of spaghetti squash you know just running down the, the, <laughs> the, the <laughs> ramp and chewing on big, huge ch- ch- chunks of spaghetti squash. They showed this one guy with all this yellow squash all hanging out his mouth. You know, he, looked, he looked like he bit his lip chewing on it, right? You know, and there was like blood mixed with it. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's like worse than people. God, raw spaghetti squash. Oh, what has been seen cannot be unseen. <laughs>
6: So we've got like vegetable zombies. I'm not
8: <laughs> totally. I don't it. get it. <laughs> I, totally. Well, I, you know, I don't want to give away, you know, anything else. But
3: yeah don't that, don't I, don't I, spoil it for us, please. I it was relevant,
8: you know. <laughs> it was relevant to you know the time we find ourselves in. <laughs>
6: He's gonna no, win I, some awards for that one.
8: I know, huh? I know. It's, I wish I wouldn't have seen the spaghetti squash thing, though. That's that's gonna stick with me for a while.
3: Just, just as, just as an aside, have you ever heard the uh, the? Um, it's the TV edit of from Snakes on a Plane. uh You know, you know the famous line: "I'm tired of these mother effing snakes on this mother effing plane." Well, in the (laughs) TV edit version, is "I'm tired of these these monkey humping snakes on this Monday through Friday plane." Ah, ah! (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) In fact, Rob, you need to insert that into into the show. (laughs)
6: I'll download it. That's the joy of like
3: TBS,
6: (laughs) you know. Oh yeah,
3: I'm tired of these monkey-humping snakes on this Monday through Friday plane. (laughs)
8: <laughs> Does anybody buy that? You no, know, they might as well leave it in that because that leaves more of a scar. <laughs> you know, in society than just leaving in the cuss words. I mean, that was hard on me. That was hard for me to hear right now.
3: <laughs> so, <laughs> I just wanted to throw that in there, just, you know, since we're on the on the uh, topic of Samuel L. Jackson.
2: You
8: know. <laughs> there was a great wise man that once told me there are some things that hurt you to know. My son.
3: <laughs> well, yeah. Johnny, I want to talk to you a little bit about how you got into doing what you do, man, uh, with the, uh, your show and, you know, talk to me a little bit about that. You know, it's kind of like the history of the iron show.
8: Oh, the history of the iron show. Oh, wow. Hey, that's going to be fun. I love to talk about myself. <laughs> Where's my music? Oops. That's not it. Oh,
5: well, okay.
8: Uh, <laughs> I was, the uh, Oh wow! the whole history of it well a short short really short condensed version of it, I guess um I've been a Christian since nineteen eighty five April I was saved in a snake bite Pentecostal church in nineteen eighty five people rolling around on the floor, speaking in tongues, foaming at the mouth, snakes <laughs> hanging off their arms I was like wow this did you is cool. did you
3: drink some strychnine?
8: I did not I did not, but I mean people say like you know uh. You know, people talk about being saved. I wasn't saved. I was saved, my friend. Oh, Lord have mercy. Poor boy. But, uh, yeah, I just been, I've just been a really bad Christian, like, my whole life. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, you know, yeah, I don't think I've known. I was at Bethel Church with Peter Goodgame two years ago. And somebody goes, uh, the, the preacher goes, is there anybody here? That feels right now, like they are the worst, worst Christian in this auditorium. And I raise my hand over the back. I go, right here, baby. <laughs> <laughs> People are turning around, shaking my hand. It's an honor to meet you, sir. I'm like, hey, cool. But, <laughs> yeah, I, I was, I was, um, well, I was coming down off a massive dose of amphetamines in 2007, and I. <laughs> Couldn't find anything to listen to on my iPod, and um, I had downloaded uh, a show uh, about oh, oh, it's probably about a week earlier. I had just got my iPod like like two weeks before that, and I was looking for podcasts to listen to. And I had I had typed in Fringe Christian and Fringe Science, and up up popped Future Quick, and I downloaded a few episodes, and so. I'm coming down off this massive dose of speed, and I don't know if you guys have ever done that, but it's really, really bad. I mean, if you're man enough to come out of the tree, it's really, it's really traumatic. It's like being in a war zone. It's kind of like being dropped off on the North Pole naked with like a pocket knife and a big lighter. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about, but
3: I've never known the feeling. <laughs> so. I can totally
8: relate to you, man. <laughs> Right on. Dude, somebody in the crowd here. (laughs) you feel so alone. But yeah, I was searching, but I was in a corner, sitting in a corner, searching for something to listen to. And it's really weird. This is like synchronicity. A friend of mine, my best friend that I grew up with, taught me how to play guitar, Eddie Nixon. I had a band in 1983 called Psycho. And the album was Metal Ward. Psycho Metal Ward. And it was an EP at four songs that Eddie had wrote. Eddie and Mike. The singer and uh, uh, had written and recorded it as, a, as an EP, It was an album, and I had one of the only known recordings of it. And uh, I was I was searching for something to listen to because when you're in that frame of, of mind, nothing you can there's nothing you don't want anything. You just but you want something to make you feel better, but nothing sounds good. It's kind of like being really hungry, but having no idea what you're hungry for. Nothing sounds good. Sure. It's like that, only a whole lot worse. So I'm listening. I'm looking for something in my iPod to listen to. I find Psycho Metal Ward, 1983, a song called "Total Conviction." Total Conviction was a song that Eddie had written about his cousin, guy that I grew up with, um, and his cousin. Uh, uh, we we're all, you know, best friends when we were little kids, and we got, you know into our teenage years and our late teens um uh, his cousin had developed a hobby of robbing gas stations armed robbery was a hobby of his um, he did it for the thrill he needed the money for his coke but I mean mostly he could have got that on a lot of other ways he just loved he just loved doing armed robberies and he would always split the money with the gas station attendant when he was done. <laughs> <laughs>
6: Sorry, you had to deal with that, man. Here's a couple hundred.
8: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I, he would actually split it right in half with him. It was just being, just so you know, you know, we're fair, bro. It's like this is how much I got. I'm giving you half, and he got he got away with it. You know, this is after he'd made the guy suck on the gun and all this other stuff. You know, and made him bark <laughs> like a dog. And he, yeah, Mike was he was really crazy, but yeah, he got away with it. Like. A lot of times, like maybe 30 times, because the dude would never report him. He had half the money, right? And, you know, gas station attendants, they're usually treated really bad, and they don't make anything but minimum wage. And anyway, but he got finally got caught because the last guy that he shared the money with owned the gas station. So that didn't work out too good for him. Anyway, he <laughs> Yeah, so so he gets get he gets sent to McNeil Island prison. It's on the it's off the coast of Washington, like out way out in the Puget Sound, and it's like Alcatraz. It's an island prison. It's like Alcatraz, and uh, this was back in this is probably yeah, it was about eighty two, probably when all this had happened, because Eddie had written the song and recorded it by late eighty three. So, but yeah, so anyway, so. Him and two other guys uh, slowly uh, built a raft, and they had it stashed down on the rocks. And finally, like after a year, they finally got got out there onto the rocks and pushed off. They, they you know, they both were able to disappear from the yard or wherever they were. There wasn't a lot of security on McNeil Island because nobody could swim to the shore. Not the Pacific, the North Pacific, the North Pacific up. You know, off the coast of Washington, it's notoriously brutally cold. I mean, you're not going to live out there. But well, they were able to get on this raft. They pushed out. The weather started kicking up. They had a, they were about a mile out there. And the other guys, uh, they wimped out. And the last thing that they reported to the authorities was Mike uh, screaming at him and yelling at him, calling him a bunch of pussies and stuff. And he was going to be free and all this stuff. And his body washed up on the beach about. Uh, about a month later and the fish had eaten his eyeballs out.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Johnny. <laughs> so how did you get to the Irish show here? <laughs>
2: yeah, okay, well,
8: so there's Yeah. It's right, rounding like, off. Like, where where's this train? Driver, where are you taking us? <laughs> Blue
2: bus.
8: Okay. Um, so anyway, so I'm listening to Total Conviction, the song about Eddie's cousin. And, I'm list- and the only other thing I could listen to after I listened to that about 300 times was Future Quake. That one episode I downloaded, Future Quake 64, The Revealings of the Antichrist with Peter Goodgame. Anyway, the name of the host of Future Quake was Mike Bennett, and Eddie's cousin's name was Mike Bennett. Really? Yes. Wow. That whole story, just to point out that moment. So you were Saint-
3: listening to Dr. Future while you were coming down off of speed, huh? <laughs>
8: For three days in a corner. <laughs> I <listened to> that. <laughs> Dude, I listened to that episode, Future Quake 64, parts one and two. The Revealings of the Antichrist, Dr. Future and Peter Goodgame. They literally talked to me really out of a heart attack in se- at several points. I was dying at a few points there. It was that bad. And I sat there in a corner listening to that for three days. And when I came out of that is when I decided, you know what? These guys saved my life. Dr. Future saved my life. Peter Goodgame saved my life. You know, uh, if if I could do what they do or half of what they do or anything like that and reach one person, all the effort and expense that I go to go through will be worth it. And, yeah. yeah, The Iron Show was born out of that conviction, a really, a really bad Christian show with really bad, two really bad Christians as hosts. And, you know, we had really, we had wanted, we had planned on, you know, using all the, cu- you know, the modern cuss words and being the only ones out there that did it. But we finally decided that would be pushing it a little too far. So we decided, me and Rick— my original co-host Rick Wyatt. What's up, Rick? Are you listening, baby? We had finally uh, settled on just using the cuss cuss words found in the King James Bible original. Okay.
3: Versions. Well, Damn that works. <laughs>
8: piss. <laughs> what like just, Damn. That sucked. Or you can suck is in there too. And oh man, that pissed me off because piss is in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like well, – okay. so hey, keeping, it, keep, keeping it
3: biblical, right?
8: Right. We had to keep it biblical, you know. But yeah, and we you know, we 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 just started doing these shows not really knowing what we were doing and we just would just get on there and just talk about, you know, you know, what we'd been going through, you know, our history or what had been going on that week or what we'd been thinking about and um it finally um, evolved into uh, Sessions. I met Matthew Miller about six years ago who's a total uh like he's a prodigy. He had translated the Bible in his own handwriting from the original Greek and Hebrew by the age of 12 the Matthew Miller Bible and he's like a total child prod- prodigy, total genius kind of a savant uh, actually and then, uh, about a year later, I met Rabbi Mike, and about four years ago, we started, me and Rabbi Mike and Matthew Miller started doing Bible studies. Just really wild, trippy, fringy, you know, uh, space alien Bible studies, you know. <laughs> uh, we, t- we get really wild, you know, in the intros, and then we go just as deep as we can possibly take it to blow people's minds, and usually they blow my mind. Once in a while, I'll come up with something something cool but yeah mostly i sit there and just with my you know slack jaw while these guys are just tripping out on just these trippy revelations and
3: then and they put in some sound effects every now and again right
8: <laughs> oh yeah and the intros are really wild which the whole iron show the whole idea of the iron show is something it was based on a friend of mine that i grew up with in high school taught me how to play piano taught me how to write songs taught me everything i knew about songwriting um, he was a really slimy, just, a just a really vile punk guy with a terrible sense of humor, just the dirtiest, scrawniest, sleaziest guy you could imagine, but was a total, um, gifted, uh, piano prodigy. I mean, unbelievable, had written 4,000 songs by the age of 17 and, uh, yeah. And he was, um, very, very deep. He, I learned so much about life from him, just about philosophy and religion and science and sociology from him. At the same time, you know, I, we were out front um, at a Patti Smith concert, you know, getting our heads banged in by the security guards in 77. So,
3: right you know, on. there's a
8: wild mix of wild and deep, you know. That's what the Iron Show, that's what I shoot for, is to be like Donnie Henson, who died of AIDS, one of the first people. That died of AIDS. He was queer as a three dollar bill. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he, <laughs> yeah, he was um, you, he he was offended when you called him gay. He he had he used the F word on himself. He used to tell me, Johnny, I am the sleaziest son of a bitch you will ever meet in your entire life. And he was, he would do it with anyone, anywhere, anytime, all day, every day. Dude was sleazy. But he was my best friend and I just learned so many life lessons from him and just so much art. It's like, man, he, the guy had such a profound effect on me.
3: Isn't it it's interesting like, how some of the gift, most gifted people are usually some of the most troubled and messed up, you know?
8: Absolutely. Yeah. It's weird, huh?
3: Yeah. It's and, strange how it works like that.
8: Yeah. I, you know, I had, um, uh, originally, the Iron Show is designed for somebody coming down off, you know, a really bad Christian coming do- down off a massive dose. You know, that's what the show's designed for. It's designed for, to reach the bad boys and girls, you know, like me. But it was really amazing to me in the, within the first year. I wasn't hearing from any of those people. I was hearing from doctors and lawyers and uh, preachers and, you know, missionaries. There's a huge Iron Show cult of missionaries in uh korea and uh china that sits around and listens to our show we've got a uh yeah isn't it
3: amazing just like the people that you can reach like you never know who who you're gonna who's gonna hear your show
8: yeah you never know man it's like throwing a message out on the you know in a bottle and throwing it out on the ocean you never know who's gonna pick it up you know
3: Let's talk efficient. about let's talk about music a little bit because you uh you you used to play in some bands. What's uh what kind of music did you play back in the day?
8: Um, well, I started out like I said. Donnie taught me how to play piano. Well, I, well, I started playing classical piano when I was six. From my grandma was a she was a piano teacher. So I mean, I learned you know theory and everything from her. But like songwriting, piano songwriting. I uh, learned from Donnie when I started when I was 15. He taught me till basically until he died. I was about, oh, he died when I was 18. And, uh, but by the time I was 18, I had been singing so much with the piano that my singing voice had developed way more than my piano playing had. And I'd been playing guitar and bass, but, and then I played in band too. I'd played trumpet, I played clarinet, played coronet. Um, in school band but I had I played a like I could play like just about anything but by the time I was 18 19 I didn't want to play anything I just wanted to take my shirt off and scream <laughs> 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 dude it's like once you're once you're the front man you I don't know you know once you experience uh it's a different kind high man, Yeah, that's all you want to do. That's all I wanted to do. You know, in the background, you know, we were an all-original band. Uh, Avant-Garde was the name of the band. And we had started when I was 18, 17. And finally, we were playing out by the time I was 19, 20, 21. When I was 21, 1983 was our big year. We were uh, famous on the West Coast. We got picked up by Calhoun Productions. and uh, We were all-original band, and I was front man, lead singer, and that's all I did in the band. In the background, I was writing, you know, I had written a lot, you know, with the guys, written a lot of the music with the guys, but, you know, to, on stage, all I just wanted to scream. And, uh. So was this so like, was it,
3: this like metal? Was this like.
8: It was kind of like. It was like really melodic metal, sort of like, you know, proto metal. I mean, cause metal now is like. You know, metal now is like, oh, who do I think of when I think of metal now? Oh, Infant Annihilator. Did yeah. you hear those dudes? Yeah. You're talking my language, dude. Oh my god, Luke. Yes. Infant Annihilator.
6: Awesome. You know what I'm talking
8: about?
6: Yes, Wicked.
8: I don't know the. I don't know that video though. Some things cannot be unseen. Uh,
6: you talking about the latest one just came out?
8: Yeah. Yeah. Was like they're like fucking each other and stuff. It's like. Yeah.
6: No. Well, did, did you watch uh, uh the precursor is uh decapitation fornication? Did you watch that thank one first? No, oh, thank God. Yeah. I'm damaged goods enough. <laughs> for for the for that video to make sense, you got to go back and watch decapitation fornication.
8: Oh, okay. Well, maybe when I yeah, maybe when I'm in a, in a feeling less fragile. <laughs> I'll get some of my loser skate friends, you know, to <laughs> turn, turn me on to it, <laughs> or they'll it'll come up no matter what. Because my loser skate friends, man, when they start, yeah, yeah, I'm when all- they start going off, all kinds of things come off the rails.
6: All of my all of my uh, like hardcore um diehard metal buddies always will roll their eyes when I say I love Infinite Annihilator because it's uh it's very sensational versus what they all listen to, you know. Oh, you know, we've been collecting vinyls since uh the early 90s and we're true metal heads, you know, kind of attitude. But but Inf- Infinite Annihilator is like the heaviest band I've ever heard in my life. I've at,
8: never at heard I've never heard a better drummer. God, that guy
6: Alex Kitcher.
8: Oh, Alex Kitcher. Man, that guy can play the drums. Yeah. Unbelievable. He's like a cybernetic robot. He
6: you know? is.
8: <laughs> Dude's inhuman. Right. I think, he's, I think he had a DNA implant from like a, I don't know, like a zebra or something. <laughs> Goat. I don't know, man. Uh, yeah, or a hummingbird. Yeah. His feet are like hummingbird wings. They're like literally going that fast. <laughs>
6: yeah, well, I mean, that's been going on on the West Coast, so it's a possibility, I suppose. You know, like the change in the color of the baby's eyes and stuff playing with the genetics before they were even born.
1: Somebody, somebody genetically engineered the perfect metal drummer. There you go. Yeah. <laughs>
6: What's his name again? Alex Kitcher.
8: Alex Kitcher, totally genetically engineered mutant. <laughs> he like belongs on the X-Men. Did we listen? I, was like, I, don't wanna, I was like, I don't want, I want to say, hey, Infinite Annihilator, go listen to this band, listen to this guy, but I don't want to promote those guys. Those guys are like evil.
6: Yeah, it's true. <laughs> the the, lyri-
1: the lyrics are pretty dark. I did will we say that. Did we listen to them on the way back from Minneapolis? Uh, yeah, I think so. Did we? Okay. Yeah, because that, that's that's all my experience with any any metal for the past 10 years of that <laughs> road trip. <laughs>
8: yeah, it's like, Wow. So we weren't that kind of, I mean, we were proto metal. We were sort of like somewhere between, I don't know. We, people, that's why we had such a big following because you, you couldn't, we defied description. We were truly original, something that had never been done before. So, I mean, it was a, maybe a little bit like Rush or a little bit like Zeppelin combined with Metallica, maybe, but it was sort of progressive. So, very, very core, heavy core melody. Songs, you know, not, you know, not jams, but I mean, song songs. And we're really proud of our core melody. It
3: it doesn't sound like Satan screaming.
8: No, it wasn't Satan barfing in the garbage can. (laughs) 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 That was before all that happened, 1983. I mean, my God, man. That was like, how long ago was that? 33 years ago.
6: That was power metal.
8: That's, That's, it was, yeah, it was power metal. Sort of maybe a little bit like Guns N' Roses before that. I think they stole a lot of our material, if you ask me, but. See, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. so you could hear a lot, you could hear a lot of avant garde after we broke up. You started hearing it around on the West Coast. And it's like, we were popular enough to where, yeah, I mean, people could have hurt us and ripped us. And we'd we'd get together, you know you know through the late 80s after it was all you know done that was history and like you know what i know i heard part of one of our songs in that one uh like yeah i heard this like yeah that's to- They totally ripped this off so i don't know i think we're re- i really do think we're responsible for a lot of the songs that came out in the 80s uh,
6: that's a real Jeez. bummer too that that you can't get more credit
8: I know, and I, I'm just the kind of guy who just wants credit so badly.
6: <laughs> just, no. I mean, no. but it would be nice to be the footnote of a Wikipedia article or something like that. You know, like, no. oh, it, you know, John McMahon was, was part of the sound of this, you know, the beginning of this genre. You could be like, whoa. Give credit where credit is due. Exactly. Right?
8: Yeah, I was, actually wasn't John McMahon. I was Marin Keith. So, yeah, I mean, if you hear that name, then you'll know. <laughs> and, uh, I used to uh, dude I used to walk through the streets in Portland people be right and left grabbing me asking for my autograph and now who wants my autograph the IRS <laughs> <laughs>
2: <Company>.
8: <laughs> US West. cable <laughs> company dish network yeah it's oh. kind of I'm totally has been although the iron show arguably it's got about a quarter million listeners worldwide we're really big on the streets of london we've been out we're hitting seven years uh beginning of next month we're having our seven year anniversary
3: wow real nice
8: yeah so yeah we're really big on the shelters in the streets of london the youth the wild youth of london the bad boys and girls we're really big there um we're big in india big in norway uh scotland uh, South Africa, we're pretty big in South Africa, really big in South Africa. I mean, South you
3: never Africa. know. Maybe the guys from Infinite Annihilator listen to your show.
8: Well, I know Adam Sandler listens to me. Uh, I heard it from a friend of a friend, but he thinks I'm an idiot. So, <laughs> like a good review. He listens to me for laughs. <laughs>
6: <laughs> that's pretty but awesome like, still. What an
3: idiot. <laughs> that's that's still pretty cool. I mean, you know, could go for that.
8: <laughs> uh, but you know, I I had started out on this mission to just reach one save one person's life like they'd saved my life. Yeah. And finally, uh it ended up happening um oh probably four years ago. It ended up happening, I happening I saved somebody's life, listening to Iron Show. Rock star Nathan Hatishell, who has become my best friend. And uh it's a shout out to my best friend Nathan. Love Johnny loves you, man. Johnny loves you. Yeah. Who's actually um he's not actually a rock star anymore. He he decided to hang it up and uh live on the farm. So he's out there. He just got he also he actually um um as it happens. Yesterday, before yesterday, he got mauled by one of his goats.
3: Oh, I think I know who you're talking about. <laughs> sounds yeah. tragic. I'm yeah. friends with him on Facebook. Yeah, I know who you're it? talking about. Cool. Yeah,
8: that's my boy Nathan. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's been it's been a wild ride. It's been a wild ride. I don't. We're the. I've been on vacation. The Iron show has been on vacation since. Well, I mean I've been doing little shows here and there, but basically been on hiatus since January. and you know, while giving everybody, Rabbi Mike and Matthew Miller, a chance to, you know, be with their families and get stuff worked out and everything. But we're planning on coming back and continuing our radical study through the book of judges, uh, coming out. We're gonna jump back in uh middle of August or first week, second week in August. So we're planning on that. Our book of Judges study has been really cool. I've always wanted, it's like my favorite book in the Bible because it's like, it's really a time of anarchy in history. Unlike any other time in history, um, true anarchy. Uh, Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They had no ruler. Um, And uh, things were so bad. Uh, every 20 years, things got so bad that God would set up a judge, deliverer, and they really were like uh, my favorite comic book, Judge Dredd. They were judge, jury, and executioner yeah. all in one. And yeah. unlike Judge Dread, though, they were prophets. Every one of them was a prophet. But there are some badass dudes that were judges. I mean, everybody knows about Samson, you know. Uh,
3: well, Johnny, let me, I want to ask you a question about uh – a fringe Christian community, because you're definitely a part of it, and I kind of, I kind of consider myself a part of it too. Even though Absolutely. you know, our 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 show, we don't really appeal to that to that base. We're kind of more broad based. But I just wanted to ask you a question about it. Is it like, do you think that sometimes things can get too fringy where we begin to focus on? Not enough of what's important, but just some of the stuff that's in the foreground, like Nephilim and UFOs and
8: all that stuff. Absolutely freaking not, buddy. I do not think that at all. In fact, I'm one of the defenders on Can the Fringe Be Too Fringy? No. And I know my dear friend um, in the uh, stuffy uh, stuffy suck, stuffy uh, stuffy 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 uh what Hilshire Countryside. What is it? Wilshire Farms Countryside in England. He says he says lately he's taken that that position that the fringe is cringe. And uh he's a good friend of mine. I call him Mr. Steffi. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, what's his name? I can't even I'm terrible ever since I hit fifty, my name memory, even like the people I really am close to, I can't remember their name. <laughs> <laughs> I was hanging uh, out know, with one of my it happens, and so I'm like, dude, uh, uh, he's like, Travis, I'm old, Travis. He goes, dude, how long have we been hanging out? How long have we been skating the parks? I go, dude, like, forever. You... my name's Travis. I'm like, okay, sorry, dude. <laughs> but, um, no, because guess what? If you want, like, straight, like, Bible teaching or Bible studies or, uh, preaching, old-fashioned preaching or life coaching or any number of, or theology, Uh, Or apologetics, or doctrine, or um, life lessons. Guess what? There's like only a million and one places you can turn to to get that. I mean, every station on the radio, every show on the Christian radio station, you know, you've got, just turn it on. You'll get all your straight teaching, you know, and everything, and all the stuff that supposedly, well, that matters, definitely matters, but. All the things that, um, that a lot of the people are leaning on the fringe Christians to start doing. Well, guess what? You know what? Somebody's already has been doing that, is doing it, has been doing it for like a really long time. And guess what? There's not many fringe Christians out there. It's only, even now. I mean, when I started out, there was like, you could count them on one hand. Well, now you could, I mean, Still, it's only both hands and your feet, you know. Yeah. Of all the fringe Christian shows out there, there are very few.
3: I, I know that you feel pretty, uh, pretty positive about Skywatch TV. And I know that oh, there's, yeah. there's some out there that feel pretty negative about it as well. Uh, I'm kind of 50 50 on it myself. I don't really have. I mean, there's some stuff I look at and I think, okay, that's kind of crazy or that's kind of interesting. You know, like I really respect Derek Gilbert. I think he's awesome. But the, I I just um, – I, I don't know if sometimes too far is too far. You know what I mean? Or whether people are doing this stuff just to make a quick buck and not really taking it seriously. Well, there's a lot of people that do take it seriously.
8: Um, I seems, they seem serious to me about the stuff. I don't know. I, um, I haven't found any. I actually, wa- I got for Christmas, I went out and bought myself a brand new, uh, smart Roku TV. It's got Roku built into it. It's like the first thing I did was, you know, subscribe to Skywatch. Excuse me. I'm burping on my Guinness. Uh, <laughs> perfectly <but>, alright. <laughs> brood in Dublin, baby. <laughs> uh, I was gonna do a show with Patty Heron called A Pint with Patty. We were both gonna drink Guinness live on the air. God rest his soul, he died before that ever happened.
3: Oh That's man, really I didn't know he died. Yes,
8: he did. Uh died of cancer um probably about a year and a half ago. Oh, probably man. might be yeah, about maybe two years ago. Yeah, that was sad. And we had planned I was gonna be like the only other person out there you know what and as famous as he was he kept it he, he was like bugging me every other day when are we gonna do an iron show johnny when are we gonna go when are we gonna go when are we gonna have a pint with patty i'm like yeah I'll, pretty soon pretty soon i'm set it up it never happened and he died don't you hate don't you hate him when that happens
3: yeah that is unfortunate man
8: sad but um getting back to skywatch uh yeah i've got that roku smart tv and have been watching it since Christmas. So, or before Christmas. And so, like, what? There's like, we're into, yeah, I've been watching it for seven, eight months now. And uh, yeah, I don't see any, I don't have any problem with anything on there. They seem, they seem serious about everything. And they're all dear friends of mine. I mean, you no. know, Derek, we go way back. Uh, Joe Speck, Josh Peck. I call him Joe Speck. <laughs> that shows you how close me and Joe are, Josh Peck are joe joe speck are you listening to me josh your name's joe speck (laughs) you're about this big buddy you're just a speck on my radar baby no he's actually turned into a monster uh he's got you know a science show into the multiverse with joe speck i mean josh speck and uh and uh i like yeah i um, need to
3: get i need to get him on the show he'd be an interesting guest to have on
8: the only thing I don't like about, the only thing I haven't liked watching Skywatch was the session with Steve Quayle. Not because I don't like Steve Quayle. I mean, I like Steve Quayle, but I mean, I thought that maybe he could settle down and hang on one thought for more than 15 seconds before he goes wandering off, you know, all over the map. And you know, even though Derek, you know Derek was trying to keep him on track, right? Trying to trying to pick him up at the bus stop where he picked him up, bring him back, let him start there. You know, continuing on your original. <laughs> vein, finally, Derek, you can see a look on his face. He's like, "Hell with it! I give up on this guy." <laughs> and then he you just know, he just let him go wild. I mean, Steve you, you know, kind of frustrated.
3: Steve Quell, he just comes up with some of the most outlandish stuff. And and I've really had to wonder, like he always talks about how he heard this about this Nephilim that's buried in Afghanistan. Or he heard about this or that from somebody in military intelligence. And, and I have to really wonder if just somebody's just out there messing with the guy and just feeding him a whole bunch of nonsense.
8: Yeah, you know, the thing is, is though I've actually been a steel Steve Quayle fan. Not that I like everything he does, but I've yeah. been a you know, avid listener of his since, I mean, I'm talking like, like 2001, 2, 3, um, like going back years and years. Um, he used to have this little show called The Q-Files. It was like the very first internet radio show, and it was really crappy, like streaming 8K audio, and it kept, it would always <laughs> drop out. It was cool. He was a total pioneer, but he had had he had these military officers on his show that had witnessed these giants that they had found in a cave in Afghanistan. That it, it happened a few times in, in a few different places. And dude, I mean, you can, if you listen to these interviews, I mean, you'd be like walk away pretty convinced. You know, I just
3: don't know. Every time I've listened to Steve Quayle, I've just been like, I mean, he's entertaining as hell. Don't get me wrong. But like, it just, it just like, there's like, I'm like, nah, this is like really strange, really strange. My credit, the credibility here. Uh, He just, he just does. And there's some others that don't, but Steve Quayle, I'm like, uh, I don't know. I want to ask you about this too, Johnny. This is something that we have not tackled on this show because I've kind of stayed away from it. Like the plague.
1: Yeah. I just want to jump in here real quick and say that, um, as far as fringe anything goes, like I'm, I'm not a Christian, but, um, if you're not, if you're not, I I believe everything is a system. If you're not growing, then you're either stagnant or you're decaying. And if, if consciousness and if the evolution of thought and the evolution of humanity is not growing, then we're either stagnating or we're declining and neither one of those situations is okay. So I'm, I'm good with people like, um, with Josh Quayle and anyone that's way over the edge because you need yeah. that to know where the edge is. You've got to be pushing the boundaries and those people good are point. just as important as the people that are right. Good,
3: you know? good point, I, Rob. Good point. Cause it's definitely interesting guys. for sure.
1: Yeah. I
8: seem like the old man of the whole genre. I mean I'm not as old as I'm fifty-three. I'm probably quite a bit older than you guys, huh?
3: Well see, I'm thirty
8: nine. Oh yeah. You're just like one of the kids. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, you, you're like what, twenty
1: eight? I'm thirty five. Luca's actually about twenty Yeah, I'm
8: twenty eight. <laughs> My daughter's your age, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> She's like not available. Dang! <laughs> oh, oh
5: yeah.
8: <laughs> Just like I'm the president of your fan club, and you could have been my son-in-law.
6: <laughs> uh, I think my girlfriend might have some words about that.
8: Oh. Well, if anything ever happens, you know, to the other one, you definitely have my permission. Oh, sweet!
6: Thanks, man. She, you
3: that you've means got a lot. his blessing to marry his daughter. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
6: but, I'm flying over there.
2: You what? So you I'm flying. Fly-
6: I'm flying over there.
2: Stay
8: away from my daughter. You, you gorilla! You gorilla! You took that child in your cage. I know. I know. Before they shot you, you. I knew what you were gonna do. <laughs> no. But the, let, let me bring you back to the bus stop where I picked you up on. And that is, like, I'm, I'm, like, 53, so I've, like, seen a lot in my life. I've seen more than, like, most people because I've had a really wild life. And I really think that the truth is stranger than fringe.
3: So. Yeah, that's absolutely probably true. I want to ask you about Flat Earth. What do you think about this whole movement?
8: It's not flat. It's a pancake. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, it's got a little substance to it, right? It's not completely flat.
8: If you look at the latest <laughs> diagram of it you'll notice like what looks like the what looks like the north pole the uh, ice there that is actually dude that is actually I have this on good authority that is actually a blob of organic fair trade butter <laughs> <laughs> I know and that you know and that's another concrete bit of evidence in the whole luciferian globe earth conspiracy.
6: (laughs) (laughs) Jesuit
3: and Freemasonic influences.
8: (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, no. Yeah, if the earth was flat, okay, like what Rabbi Mike has said, said, and that's like one of the first things I thought of. Yeah, it would have to be, it would have to be a different shape than everything else in the universe because round is the shape of gravity. I mean, things get to a certain point and they have... No hope of doing anything else than crushing into a ball. Soap that's just bubbles
1: way, come to mind.
8: Yeah, that's just the way gravity works. That's the shape of gravity. Everything is drawn from, as something gains more and more mass, everything is attracted to the center of the mass. It's attracted to center of mass. So you just naturally have spheres growing. The bigger... The m- the bigger the sphere is, the more gravity. The m- more perfect the sphere is. I mean, ultimately, until you get to a certain point, when you do, I mean, it, like the black hole at the center of the Milky Way galaxy. Um, they're pretty sure now that that's it's not round. Most black holes are round. They're sphere ball, but that one is so big that the the rotation. And the mass is such that the centrifugal force, they believe, has stretched it out into a ribbon. <laughs> um, like a – oh, it would be like a – well, a round ribbon, a round spinning ribbon. Like a toro.
3: Well, I, I love how this kind of stuff started in like the Christian fringe community, but then just kind of like snowballed where you actually have – well, they're kind of like – B-grade celebrities, like, what's his name? B.O.B. and Tia Tia Tequila, (laughs) like, embracing all this flat-earth stuff. and
8: Yeah, Mark Sargent, which, that guy, man, it's like, nice guy. Whatever. But, you know, I mean, his proof, you listen to it, and you're like, you're listening to two hours of this guy, and it's like, is there one thing that you can point to that doesn't fit this uh, conspiracy model. See, every one of his so-called uh, quote-unquote facts is a conspiracy model tactic. Right.
3: Uh, right. Uh,
8: right? Yeah. You know, yeah. It, when the thing is, is that, okay, there's an old axiom that you guys probably know that states that you cannot prove a negative. Yep. And that's what this whole flat earth thing is. It's all based on trying to prove a negative. Trying to prove that the Earth is not round—that's a negative. You can't prove that.
3: Well, it's it's, it's
8: trying to prove a lie of NASA.
3: Yeah, it's circular reasoning because you would say, "Well, why don't why don't we why why is the uh, the why if the Earth is flat? Why do we see these pictures of it being a globe?" And then they just say, "Well, that's just NASA lying to us. They made those pictures up." You know, well, why did they make those pictures up? Because they don't want us to know, and it's just like circular. Do they have circular okay, reasoning?
1: I I haven't looked into this enough to know if they have an excuse for everything. So, do wh- why why do the stars rotate? Like, why you know, why what about the moon going around us? Do they have? They're
3: like they're like orbs in the sky that go from one point to another point.
1: So, so the, so it's a, it's a, um, yeah. Earth, You're Earth's, living
3: under a dome. It's basically.
1: an earth centric, like, yeah. Okay.
3: Yeah. So not yeah, only is the earth flat, it's the center of the but universe. It's the center of the universe.
1: Okay. Yeah.
8: Right. It's not just that though. I mean, cause they, I mean, there's a whole spectrum of explanations. I mean, there are some people that pretty much believe everything else, but that the earth is round. So they apply pretty much every other bit of science to it, like explaining, you know, you know, the passage of the stars across the night sky. You know, they would just like explain it in fairly conventional terms. Well, the Earth is still spinning; it's just a pancake. You know, it's <laughs> going around and it's spinning, but it's still, you know, it's it's the shape of it, which has no bearing on the passage of the night sky. Then you get all the way to. Like my friend X, who is totally, totally off the rails, and really believes that uh, we're looking at a we're looking at a projection, a simulation, um, on a dome. We're looking at the top of a dome. We're looking at you know massive movie projectors. I think Mark Sargent actually lines up with this massive music, movie projectors that are projecting an image of the sun, the moon, That's and like the some
1: stars. Crazy Truman Show stuff. Yeah.
8: And so, you know, like Mark Sargent, you know he does. He he does. He compares it a lot to the Truman Show. He so really. Right.
3: I heard an interview with him on Darkness Radio not long ago.
1: S- so every pilot that's flown across both oceans,
8: Right. That's another thing they say that there's uh, there's a uh, conspiracies of the flight paths and how there is no such thing as an actual transatlantic <laughs> flight. They'll show different stops. They actually make different stops. Right, like Antarctica is a really trippy thing. Have you ever seen a picture of the flat Earth? They got Antarctica in a giant ring. Yeah, Yeah, it rings around the world. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And they've you know they've they've noted that you know nobody has ever passed all the way through the interior of Antarctica. Well, yeah. Why uh, would you? (laughs) Why would you? Yeah, number one, (laughs) number two, you can't really do that. I mean. Uh, Number three, uh, yeah, they have with airplanes uh, and jets. Well, people have been to the
3: South Pole, right? I mean,
8: so we're told.
3: So we're told.
5: Yeah. That's what we're told.
8: The thing is about NASA lying about anything. Okay, Okay, we, like it or not, we're not the only country with the National Space Agency. I mean, there are... Oh, there's about uh, – well, there's 38 countries with space agencies. There's only about five that actually are like NASA. and they're, None of them are as big as NASA, but the European Space Agency would be second. Japan has a pretty killer space agency. All have satellites, um, all do uh, space exploration the, of those five agencies and then if you think about it worldwide there's 38 countries many that all had that have satellites uh, and a space program not as advanced as nasa but still now out of those 38 many of those are hostile to the united states so how could you get nasa to agree with all these guys to pull the wool over our eyes
3: right right Right? exactly
8: How's that going to work on a practical level, right?
3: Well, it's because it's the Jesuits, Johnny. The Jesuits yes. are the ones pulling the strings.
8: That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh okay. man. You're blowing my mind. <laughs> you blew my theory out of the water, dude. <laughs> <laughs> the Jesuits. Yeah, hey, Luke, the Jesuits. Look- They could be friendly with those enemy countries because they're not like our friends either. Well, they're,
3: they're they're multinational. You know, they rule the planet. So it's like them and the Illuminati and all the others. Luke, what do you think about the flat earth
6: stuff, man? Have you looked at any of this stuff? No, man, I don't care. I don't know. You have to be someone like seeking out attention to believe in that shit. Yeah, I don't even
3: know where this stuff came from. I don't even know like how it even got started. It just all of a sudden people were like, hmm, I wonder if the earth is flat. I
6: just, uh, so weird. (laughs) I just, I just think of some, some dude from the 15th century wearing like a stupid little hat and just like, oh, I think the earth is flat.
1: I see and I, I'm not above thinking that NASA has hidden like a detail or two from us here and there on something but I I don't know.
8: <laughs> right. Yeah, this it's good. Well, it actually. I mean it's it's really big with the Christians. And the reason I I believe that is because of the reason that I never wanted to be a Christian in the first place. I mean it took it really took me being hunted by demons having them whispering in my ear and blowing on my earlobe to uh, finally, you know, get on my knees and get saved because Jesus was my only hope at that point. But I never wanted to be a Christian. I didn't like Christians. I still don't like most of them. Most Christians are ignorant, <laughs> backwards, simple-minded, ruled by emotions, ignorant, and stupid. And they have a distrust for any kind of science, most do, and this yeah. springs from a distrust of science. Well, they don't believe, you know, evolution. Yeah, I don't believe in evolution. I mean, I believe in selective uh, natural selection within the species. There's no proof of evolution anywhere. It's it's a theory. So actually, a religion. But as far as I mean, that's kind of about as far as I go. Most of the rest of science, really. I mean, it's it's science. I mean, it's. It's, it's, um, it's knowledge given to us by God. I mean, quantum physics, physics, uh, cosmology, that's all, that's all, um, man's, uh, uh, knowledge, you know, learning about, you know, the world, the universe around him. You know, it's all valid to me. And, well, once, once these ignorant, backwards, narrow minded, emotionally ruled Christians, uh, decide that the scientists have been lying to us in one area they figured they've been lying to us in all areas in an effort to keep us down
3: you know johnny we'll have to talk about some of those personal experiences that you've had sometime. i think that would be really interesting
1: and i, I want to touch on something you just said there that that's a big part of why i'm the agnostic person that i am is just because i believe if they're if there is a God, and I believe there's something, I don't know what it is, but if there's something, I mean, whatever it is, it put us here to learn. And science is pretty much the epitome of learning and knowledge. So to be, Absol- ag- to be against that is really self-defeating.
8: Absolutely. Absolutely. It doesn't, I mean, for the church, it's to their discredit. It doesn't make help their case for god at all
1: and and our latest pope has been pretty on board with a lot of latest scientific stuff i'd like to say i really like him
8: i like i actually like the pope people are gonna probably broad you know broad (laughs) emails i'm Baptist catholic so i have a little bit of catholic (laughs) theology i converted to be a catholic to catholicism I was confirmed in the Catholic church when I was 13 so they could play Catholic youth football. <laughs> Played nose guard four years, baby. <laughs> nice. But I still retain a little bit of Catholic theology in that. One of them is the respect for tradition. I mean, there's a certain amount of tradition that's good. you know, Well, there, there's, uh, a po-
1: there's power to ritual, too, for sure.
8: Absolutely. <clears throat> that's a huge thing. I, I was going to go there next, but thank you, Rob. The human condition craves ritual, does it not? Yes. It it doesn't matter what kind of ritual you're talking about, if it's religious or your day-to-day ritual that uh, uh, bolsters, shores up your uh, mental condition, right? I mean, you think about it. I mean, you go through your day. Most people have ritual, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's true. Wake up, you know, can't, don't want to talk till I've had my coffee, my organic fair trade coffee. (laughs) 20 bucks a pound. What's fair about that? (laughs) I'll tell you one thing, man. I'll tell you one thing, man. I want to apologize to all the nations around the world that we have imperialized and taken advantage of and exploited. And I just want, you know, I want to give out that apology and also want to give out a notice. That when the Donald takes the helm, not only are we going to exploit your natural resources, <laughs> pay you unfair wages, but we're going to strip you naked and throw your car keys in the bushes. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be real,
3: real America then, boy. Let me tell
8: you.
6: <laughs> That's what <makes> america great. <laughs> make america great again if everyone's <gasps> streaking i'm down dude <laughs> trump 2016 <laughs> <laughs> well hey johnny johnny we're just right, about man. out of time man
3: but uh, we really appreciate you coming on where can everybody hear the show and also get in touch with you and what's next for you brother i um, continuing our study, wild study, through the Book of
8: Judges starting around August. And uh, you can find me, find the Iron Show at ironshow.com. That's real easy, ironshow.com. From there, you can go over to the Fringe Radio Network. There's links there to go to fringe radio network listening to our recorded live sessions uh when we go back on we'll be thursday nights at seven west coast eight mountain nine central and 10 p.m in new york city on thursdays we'll be live and of course everything's archived there's like a hundred million iron shows at ironshow.com going all the way back to the beginning and then up to the latest live sessions. so yeah ironshow.com that's me if you want to email me i'm Studio at gmail.com. Excellent, Johnny.
3: Thank you so much for coming on. And you know what, guys? We've had a marathon tonight, so I think we're just going to close out the show. If there's anything... uh, Johnny, you want to yell Normal with us, right? Yeah! All right. (laughs) Rob, is anything you wanted to add? No. I know there's nothing you want to (laughs) add.
1: Thanks for being on, man. And Luke wants to get some Uh, Taco Bell. I want
6: to add two chicks, like one on each side of me on this couch. (laughs) Like, you know, scantily clad.
8: Yeah, be nice. All, you, you, just, well, all well, you need is that Oregon naval jelly vaping pen. You're set.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll work it into the budget. All right, guys. Next next week we will we'll, we will be back.
3: Uh, we're going to. I ha- have it scheduled. So hopefully we're going to have him. We're going to have uh, Richard Dolan on to Ooh, talk about uh, awesome. UFOs for the 21st century mind. And join us next time on Conspiracy.
2: Oh, yeah. (laughs) I've always wanted to do that.